Heads up, Something's Burning has its own podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to Something's Burning's audio. It's no longer on Burtcast's channel. It's on its own channel. Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to the audio version of Something's Burning. So download it, tell a friend, like, subscribe, leave a comment, and enjoy. Someone may be listening and going, the fuck, I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be a fucking hip-hop star. That's right. I don't want to be a dancer. But the thing that is, is that I was just like you at one point. You listening, I was like, how the fuck can I get the things I want? I can't figure out how to get things I want. Accessing the confidence for you in those moments to excel at your best ability is what I believe your book is about. Hey guys, the Tops Off World Tour is coming to an end in 2024, and then, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, I will be taking a long break from touring, but not before January 18th in Tucson, Arizona, El Paso, Texas, San Antonio, Amarillo that first week, Casper, Wyoming, Loveland, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, and then me and Tom, February 10th, are in Las Vegas for the big game at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. The following week, Bakersfield, Reno, San Francisco, Stockton. I will see you guys on the road. Tops off world tour. Enjoy the podcast. You are my favorite audiobook I've ever listened to. Wow. I appreciate that. I'm having <laughs> Leanne special. come in and sit down with us. She's better with smart people than I am. Um, oh, look at this. No, you really, you, she looks adorable. Yeah. Um, oh, I sorry, see. I walked on your carpet with my shoes on. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no, don't. Are you being, we just dropped a fucking, there's so much weed and mushrooms <laughs> in this carpet. Uh, and by the way, if you want some weed before you leave, I can definitely hook you up. I would, I would think that it's somewhere in the wall. It's, <laughs> there's, there's a couple hiding spots. <laughs> so I want to start, I want to start so that people know what we're talking about. I'm going to go through, uh, I, I'm going to start with saying, I, uh, have long wanted to write an, a self-help book about how the average person can succeed. You are, you are, you're not a therapist, but you, and you're not a self-help guy, no. but you work with the highest athletes and performers and er everyone at the highest levels. I, I found you through Rachel Hollis yeah. and it was within hearing you speak for five seconds, which no one's heard yet. And don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> uh, it, it, you, you got me Im immediately because the first chapter of my uh, self-help book was going to be give yourself a nickname. Mm -hmm. I believe, I believe wholeheartedly that, uh, uh, and I'm a nickname guy. I'll, yes. go, I'll go through if we need to my, the way I operate with nicknames. My wife is why <laughs> the reason she here is a big nickname person. Yeah. And when I heard you t talk to Rachel Hollis, uh, you are of the same mindset. And when you started to explain your mindset, everything fell into place for me. And you believe that greatness can be achieved by having an alter ego. Yes. Uh, the example I heard you say on Rachel Hollis's was the Black Mamba, Kobe mm. Bryant, one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. Yeah. And the second I heard that, I went, holy fucking shit. And I I, I was joking when I said give yourself a nickname. Mm -hmm. I was joking. I was like, no, nah, but that it does work because, you know, like Hulk Hogan needs to be Hulk Hogan when he gets out there. Come on, baby. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and, and the whole theme of my movie, The Machine, was a guy lost between his alter ego and who he really is at home. And your very first chapter 
flipped me upside down and you're like, Superman had an alter ego. I was like, no, 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 Clark. Oh, fuck. Yeah. You're right. And then you talk about Bo Jackson and it is, so now I'd like you to talk and give give Leanne the <laughs> elevator pitch yeah. of your book. And and yeah. I want I everyone to get it. your audio book, but I would love for this podcast to be a cliff notes of your audio book and how people can access the knowledge you have, the expertise you have, yeah. the people you've worked with, and you change names, but you've worked with the greatest athletes in the business. Mm-hmm. You've had conversations with the greatest talent that has ever been around. And and it's all based on this stupid thing that I believe in so wholeheartedly of give yourself a fucking nickname. Give yeah. yourself an alter ego. So, uh, well, thank you for all of that. I will be clipping that and using it <laughs> elsewhere. But, uh so Cliff's Notes version. So in the subtitle of my book, I say the power of secret identities to transform your life, okay? Mm-hmm. And some people are like, wait, I have a hard enough time with figuring out who I am. Now I've got to create an alter ego for myself. And so where this goes back to is I started a peak performance mental game company in 1997, working with teenage kids, long before coaching was an industry. And even the mental game world was even an industry. There was people at the highest levels working with like a, mental game person or a sports psych person, but not teenage athletes. And so... uh, Why'd you do that? uh, Because I was naturally good at... I played college football. I was a nationally ranked... He had two older brothers and he was very competitive, Mm -hmm. but he found that he'd get very... I'll let you answer your own questions. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, I'm taking interrupting people. I want to hear hear your interpretation. It's better. So yeah, I had two older brothers growing up on a big farm and ranch in Alberta, Canada. It's Mm -hmm. where I... And Alberta is like the Texas of Canada, right? It's, it's, Just uh, where Sitting Bull and his whole tribe came through right yeah. after this. The, but it's, it's in the book. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> so, so I had two older brothers and, yeah. you know, two and a half years and five years older than me. And they could, they're, they're bigger than me. They could beat me up. So I played like mental warfare with them. And, you know, that they really did. I think I developed some great mental toughness from them. But um, I was a scrawny kid, had aspirations of, I want to be the first ever Canadian to win the Heisman Trophy. That's literally what it says in my high school yearbook. Wow. And then I, there's another paragraph in there that says, you'll, you'll see me on NFL films one day. Because my dream was like, oh, I want them to do like they do at Deacon Jones. I want like a biography on my career. You know, that never happened. I was not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I got done playing myself, I started volunteering at a high school, working with these high school kids. And I would just spend time talking to them about, like, listen, like about their mind. They need to prepare better, all this kind of stuff. And then parents started asking me if I could mentor their kids. And so this little fledgling business started. Long story short, I uh, really focused on building that business up. And I started working with higher caliber people, higher caliber athletes. I'm a big believer in mentorship. Mm -hmm. And so I had this phenomenal mentor. He's known as the Yoda of baseball, Harvey Dorfman. Anyone in baseball knows him. Um, And... His book was the only one that made sense. He took me under his wing and then he started funneling me some pro athletes. So great. He opened up some door for me. And these better athletes, they would all, because I'm, again, you got to remember, I'm talking to people privately, one on one. It's like, Bert, me and you, there's no mic in front of us. Um, there's no crowd around. I'm not standing on a stage talking to an audience of people where there's groupthink and someone says, yeah, I do the same thing. And they're just mm-hmm. doing it to like not be left out. Mm-hmm. It's very different what's happening behind the scenes and what like the top performers are actually doing. Mm -hmm. Because if they told people what they actually think about themselves, everyone would think that they are egomaniacal maniacs maybe. Um, Or that just sounds crazy. But when you get to a certain level, there's an amount of like 
attention and pressure that's just different mm -hmm. up there. So they do do things differently. And these ones would say, like, I've got a persona, I've got a character, I've got a secret identity, I've got an alter ego. They wouldn't say it explicitly, but then I would say, well, like, what's your process of getting into your flow state or your zone? And they would talk about these things. And after a while, I was like, boom, this is a thing. Mm. I did it when I was a kid. When I played football, I was so insecure about how small I was. So my alter ego was Geronimo, composite of Walter Payton and Ronnie Lott, merged with five Native American warriors. And I had a very specific ritual that I would go through in the locker room to become that thing. Mm -hmm. Those rituals, I will say, uh, so I had, when I played sports intramurally or like for fun, I would I would change my name to uh, either Wild Boy or Nature Boy. Yeah. And I would be in the smallest shorts I could find, no shirt, no shirt, no shoes. So almost like a pro like wrestler. every day today. And I would, <laughs> I would take over as quarterback. And I, because I didn't care, and I was this Wild Boy, Nature Boy character, yeah. I didn't care. And I would play fun and loose, and we would destroy people. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was fucking awesome. And then when I get on the field, I was once again as baseball, what I took very serious, I was Burt Kreischer. Yeah. Um, and I would find sometimes I'd underperform or I wasn't having as much fun. Yeah. I wasn't as loose as I was on an intramural game where I, where we were having fun and I was, and, and yeah. you were, yeah, wild boy, nature boy over here. Yeah. And so when you said that to me, I, I heard about your rituals. Rituals are really important to athletes. And rituals are very different. So there's a lot of great books out there talking about habits, routines. Ritual is a different category. Mm. A ritual is when you unite the thing that you're doing with deep meaning story around what it means to do this thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, someone's, you know, you're witnessing someone put on their socks. But my clients that might be their trigger. That's their, mm -hmm. that's that's their, their uniform that they're this pulling is, on. Right. So, and they are pulling on the cape. They're pulling on the thing. For me, when I was going on to play football, it was the chin strap. It was that final sound. So um, sound is, a, is an amazing trigger for flicking, flipping a switch mm -hmm. for someone. Um, and so when I hear that snap, and especially because I had to push hard because mine, <laughs> mine was difficult to get on, and I'm coming off the bus to go out onto the football field, that snap was when I would feel the Geronimo. rush of the five Native Americans come within me. Right. And I actually had five trading cards, three of Walter Payton and two of Ronnie Lott. They were laminated. And when I was getting dressed, I would put, I'd stuff Walter Payton's in my helmet because I wanted to see the field like him. Mm. And then I'd put his other two in my thigh pads because I wanted to run like him. And then I had... The other two of Ronnie Lotts, I'd put them in my shoulder pads because he's an absolutely devastating. Ronnie Lott it played for the San Francisco 49ers, went to school at University of Tampa, and he was one of the fucking most savage, savage middle uh, uh, defensive line, defensive backs you've ever seen. And, Safety, and yeah. his notorious thing was one time he got his finger caught in a face mask, and they were like, wow, it doesn't look good. We're going to send you in. And he just went, cut it off. Yeah. And they oh cut the tip God. of his finger. Ronnie Lott awesome. is a fucking savage yeah i mean he is a fucking animal so when you said those i was like ronnie lot yeah God, that's the card you put in yeah and that. again that was born out of my insecurity for how i could not put on weight i was a skinny guy mm -hmm. that was six foot so i was trying problem. to get as much like muscle on me from these other people it was my armor mm -hmm. and so when you thought you were coming against that scrawny little number 17 from medicine hat high school mm -hmm. in alberta that's not who you're playing against. It was me and my tribe of seven. Mm -hmm. 
the, the term alter ego comes from Cicero, the great Roman statesman and philosopher. And he, and he coined the term in 44 BC in a letter to a friend because he just had this phenomenal career. And he's like, any tips, basically? Like people would come to you with, Bert. And yeah. he's like talking about this alter ego. He coins it, it's the other eye or trusted friend within. We all know how important it is to have amazing friends around us, peers, you know, mentors, other people to, to help us navigate life. But we think, don't think about it in the context between the six inches of our ears where we live all day long. Mm -hmm. And so all I'm trying to do is let people know that, A, that's a normal thing. Because like when you reached out to me, your response is very similar to like, there's a lot of hip hop artists that reach out to me as well. And they say, I read your book and it was 25 years of therapy in an afternoon. Because they, people would judge themselves at your level or because they give themselves a name. They give themselves a character and they go out there. And then after a while, they feel like, ah, oh, did I do it wrong? Did I trap myself by doing this thing? And then they read the book and they're like, no, it was actually my creative imagination at work to help find a tool to help me navigate my career aspirations or whatever it is. To help me access sometimes the things that, that Bert is too afraid to do. Yeah. Or the Bert, uh, I, I mean... I, and I'll, I'll get very in the weeds on this, but there is a nice, there is a warmth. Uh, my set, my first big special at Netflix, Secret Time. Uh, I had did two shows. I was kind of, I did six. I was murdering. I was murdering. And on my first show, I bombed. I really bombed. The ones we were taping. I remember saying to Leanne, uh, you know, I, I, um, how how bad was it? Like how much? How many flubs? And she literally said, "I don't even know what to start." Like it's, it, that was bad. You better get this next one. Yeah. Now my dad, my dad had always said to me, and this is a crazy thing that I, I hope dads are listening or moms are listening. My entire life, my dad told me, I don't know if it's true or not. I love pressure. He goes, "You, I don't know, buddy. You love pressure. Whenever the fucking all the chips are on the table, that's when you perform at your highest." I don't know if that's true or not. I really mm. don't. Um, all I know is that ever since I was six years old, my dad told me that, and I believed that, and it's ingrained in my reality. And when I realized I have one show to get this special, I have to have, be flawless. I have to be flawless in everything. My speech, my movements, my eye contact, everything needs to be flawless. I remember Leanne just very casually going, well, you, you put yourself here cause you love pressure. Mm. And then, and then. My buddy Tony Hernandez said, huh, fuck it, you're the machine. And I went, and I, I'll get emotional talking about it, but I shut off and was like, yeah, this is what I fucking love. Yeah. This is, put me in this situation. This is where I thrive. I don't thrive when I got, when I, when I, when I'm, I'm in a safety net. I thrive when the net's been removed. That's when I focus in. And then, and that weird comfort of you're the machine. It's the fucking greatest nickname i accidentally gave myself drunk in russia yeah yeah and and all of a sudden any time i've ever needed it i when we needed to sell tickets at red rocks my first time i remember nick my manager my, my agent saying uh well fuck it let's go for ten thousand tickets you're the machine you can do it mm. and it's just this great moniker that i can i can believe in bert can see and go oh bert bert can go oh he can do this yeah. it's a weird out of body yeah. thing yeah. that as I listen to you talk about, you know, 
And I have so many questions about the chapters because I do get I did get lost and confused a lot. But like having to almost shut off and take the critique that a lot of pro athletes get and go, yeah, that's not me they're talking about. That's that's the black mamba. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. But that sounds a lot like disassociation, right? Nailed it. It's disassociation. But I have a question about intrinsic value based on this. He talks about intrinsic intrinsic motivators. Uh, motivators. Well, I haven't I haven't read your book at all. Yep. Bert told me about this one chapter this morning. So I am completely blind. <laughs> so I apologize. But no. that might be good. Yeah. It's very good. For people yeah. listening. But so my understanding of building intrinsic value is when you do something, that you achieve something, you overcome something yeah. that you own. But if the Black Mamba is doing that, how does that go back to Kobe? Like if if I am yeah. Kanto, Kanto, oh. Kanto, which is my <laughs> alter ego, <laughs> if Kanto, Kanto, Kanto does something amazing, how does Leanne get that intrinsic value? Or is there a point when Kanto and Leanne merge and we realize we're the same person? Yeah, that's a great question. Todd, will you answer that for him? Yeah. So <laughs> I get the chance to say Kanto on a podcast. And Hello. Like so um, I was, I, someone gave me that name, by the way. I didn't claim of, it like of you Of course, guys. some of the best nicknames are given to someone. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I don't like it much. I've given but... myself all my nicknames. Yeah. Edward Venus Lips, B-Man, Birdie Boy. <laughs> Romeo Horsecock. My sisters call me Birdie Boy, Romeo <laughs> Horsecock. Yeah. Your daughter yeah. calls you Fetus. Fe my daughters call me Fetus and Baby uh -huh. Walrus. Baby Walrus, I love. Yeah. But you were talking about intrinsic motivators. Motivators, motivators right. And so, and intrinsic value in your sense is when do I get to own these things? Yeah, exactly. Right? And so... If your um, alter ego's, uh, ego's achieving them, like I know that if you can learn to dance drunk, you actually can dance sober. Sure. But until someone says, hey, if you can do it drunk, you can do it sober, you don't go, oh, I can totally dance sober. Yeah, but that's, so, that's, uh, a, that's a breakdown in the ego of someone who's living through this moment of with a, with a mask on mm -hmm. of, no, I don't want to like draw any attention to me. But when I'm drunk, then I'll draw attention to me because I have an excuse for that behavior that's well, out there. I think there. that's very similar to, hey, I am yes, that, the machine but that's my point and about, that's my excuse. Well, but it's not an excuse in that. Or permission. So, because um, people will ask me like, oh, but won't this create disassociative personality disorder? No, it doesn't. And, and the reason why is because, and I talk about it in chapter three of the book, you're the one who's deciding who is going to show up out there. Like mm -hmm. you're creating this mm -hmm. and its purpose is to be successful on that field of play mm -hmm. for myself. Because, you know, for whatever reason, there's a block that's there. Now I am wholly unqualified to be someone's therapist. That's sure. not my, now I know family systems therapy. I know cognitive behavioral therapy, like, because a lot of them have useful tools in there for mm -hmm. me to be using in the work that I do and the coaching and the training and all this kind of stuff. But it's that, through the power of your intention of you showing up in that domain with this role, mm -hmm. okay, you're you're not you're 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 not tricking your your this core set of qualities and attributes within yourself into not owning them because mm -hmm. you will. So uh, there's a great quote by Cary Grant, you know, Hollywood legend, yeah. right? Poor dirt mm -hmm. dirt poor in Bristol, England, is where he was born, mm -hmm. and um, had major aspirations though, wanted to get out of where he was from. And uh, Cary Grant's not his given name, gave himself a name, okay? Yeah. And at the end of his career, and he's someone who 
was very open about the fact that he battled mental health and uh, depression in the early parts and middle parts of his career. And so this uh, Hollywood reporter is asking him about his career and he said, uh, and he's known as being debonair and charismatic and, you know, well put together. And he said, I, I, cur- I created, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be until I finally became that person mm-hmm. or he became me. But at some point we met. There's a merging that mm-hmm. happens. You, you feel it within yourself. Now, to Bert's point though, um, Sasha or Beyonce retired Sasha Fierce. She didn't need Sasha Fierce mm-hmm. anymore. She finally became the entertainer that she wanted to become. Her challenge was that she was growing up in a gospel singing family in Houston, Texas, where she's got a buttoned up, you know, dress at the front of the congregation. And that's hard when dad puts you into a dance troupe or a singing troupe with seven other people. And now you're kind of dancing provocatively and singing lyrics that you're not used to. Uh, this is weird because Beyonce doesn't do this. Sasha Fierce can though. Mm -hmm. So it was the useful method for her to bring out of herself her creative traits and abilities that she wanted. And then she's like, I don't need Sasha anymore. Mm -hmm. But she talks about the out-of-body experience when you're out there. And that's what you were kind of alluding to is like when you get out there and you're the machine, it's just, it's an allowing to bring these capabilities that you have without the concern and judgment of the audience not loving you in that moment. Sometimes it's your, it's, sometimes it's, uh, for lack of better words, I'm not a therapist, but it's, trauma that happens to you as a child where you are denied the access to these things. So like as a kid, my dad would always, my, my dad and my sister, Annie, whenever I naturally was having a good time hmm. and naturally wanted to shine, they'd go, stop showing off. Yeah. And I would be like, I would be humbled beyond belief, humbled. And I, I had to almost deny who I really was because who I really was was a guy who wanted to... Made them uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable yeah. and they shut me down. And so, and then you think of like, I mean, as you said that, I think of all the great actors who take names. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Pitt. It's the coolest name ever. Do you think he'd be Brad Pitt if he used his real name? Mm-hmm. What's his real name? Dudley Wartlock. Shut up. No, it is. Google it. Dudley Wartlock? Yes, Dudley... I just yes. made that up, but it's nobody. Not I was gonna, gonna say, say I don't, nobody I don't names it's anybody not Dudley. Pitt. It's not okay. It's new. Okay, his real name is Brad Pitt. But William here's Bradley. Deal. William Bradley. Okay, yeah. no, it's, it's it's Billy Pitt. Now, listen, Billy Pitt. If anyone's gonna go, <laughs> Willie Pitts. You think any Willie Pitts is gonna be a fucking movie star? Willie Pitts. Maybe right, with it. He's a bad. He's a bad example because with that face. But I don't yeah, know. He could be Dudley Whitlock. <laughs> yeah, he could I'd be, be good with that. That'd have been great. Johnny Depp's real name's Carmen Electra. <laughs> 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 no, Maybe. but fucking, but it's a big thing in, in as movie star. Well, also that's yeah. because SAG, you can't have the same name. But uh, but strange state. Travis Scott's real name is Method Man. So we had Aquafina. Well, obviously Aquafina. Well, you take a look at Halsey, for example. So hers is just an anagram. She changed it from Ashley. And, and she has a great quote that I share on stage where she says, um, Ashley couldn't see herself do this. F- from, from her background and where she came from, she couldn't see herself going, to, but Halsey could do this. Yeah. So at what point does that merge? At what, what point? And does it ever not merge for somebody? Uh, it, it, when you're, because can alter egos be bad, by the way? Can of, they? Of, of course. course. They, of course yeah. they can, because nature tells us that Water isn't only good. <laughs> like when I'm floating in the middle of the ocean, I don't want another wave to hit me. Yeah, right. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so everything runs on a hyper and a hypo level. Uh-huh. But when they become powerful for you, and that's what I talk about in the book, is when you're creating this identity for yourself. Because 
there's something about the way that Todd showed up. He just couldn't see himself like when I started my business. I was just so insecure and uh, um, fearful of getting out there and selling myself. Mm -hmm. I was good at coaching young kids, mm -hmm. but going out there and making phone calls to book myself some you know, speeches or some workshops or something like that. I just had a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. But when I put my head on that pillow at night, I had great resolve that tomorrow was going to be a different day. And then I'd end that next day and I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was watching this one episode of Oprah as I was procrastinating that next day. <laughs> you, 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 hang on. And I'm going to stop yeah. you right there. Uh, hold on. Okay, hold on. This is so good. But as you were saying the word procrastinating, you called procrastinating something else. In your book, you call it... Uh, uh, a, a, a stunting actualization or something you call it like you, you you basically referred to something as procrastinating for the average person as like not realizing your your value not realizing your not I, whatever you said it's in fucking chapter two but it's it's you called it something else because i like that you didn't use the word procrastinating in this exact fucking story mm. you call, you didn't call it procrastinating but what did you call it i don't know and well, you're gonna we'll let to, him say what did I don't, you call he's it not gonna remember. well i don't remember exactly because there's a lot of more <laughs> words in the book, but i mean there's avoidant behavior that's in there avoidant behavior or um, whatever something like that where you it was basically because procrastinating and here is the i want everyone listening to realize we're going to take all this and apply it to you listening the regular dude not just bird yeah but because we've got to remember here's the thing that's the disconnect is Someone may be listening and going, the fuck, I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be a fucking hip-hop star. That's right. I don't want to be a dancer. But the thing that is, is that I was just like you at one point. You listening, I was like, how the fuck can I get the things I want? I can't figure out how to get the things I want. And I'm not saying that just giving myself the nickname The Machine is the thing that got me there. I gave it to myself a long time ago. What I'm saying is accessing the confidence for you in those moments to excel at your best ability is what I believe your book is about, is giving yourself in moments where, where you feel maybe you're, where you're undermining your, your own self. Yes. It's getting yourself out of your own way. And so for you listening, if you're like, I want to start a landscaping business, but I don't have the confidence to, I mean, look at the guy doing it. He drives a fucking big F-150 yeah. and he's got a cool fucking hat. His chick's hot. His daddy came from money. He owns a house. How the fuck do you own a house? Like that's that's where most people get stuck. And that is where the word procrastinating shows up a lot. And I don't like that word procrastinating because sometimes all your brilliance comes out of those moments procrastinating. Those procrastinating moments are when you should have been inside the egg as a yolk and when you should grow. Mm. Well, so, the prefix is pro, which is positive, right? So if you look yeah. at it a certain way. Well, is like you're saying it. it yeah, allows oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were yeah, yeah. such a bad listener. I was like, I was like, no. I wasn't a professional procrastinator. <laughs> no, pro, a but pro no, but, uh, but I, but, yeah. uh, so, but tell her the Oprah story. Okay. You're so, so here I'm, 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 I'm not doing the things that I sh needed to do in order to get to where I wanted to go. And, and you had just said something, Bert, that is really important language that I, I want people to try to like monitor for themselves. We, we use things like I or you, mm -hmm. and those things right there can actually be a trap. And it's given to us by spiritual traditions, religious traditions, self-help, personal leadership traditions as well, where we think that there is one you. There is not one you because I can't put you underneath the microscope and find you. We have many roles that we play. There's many sides of ourselves that are out there. And so when you said, you know, there's something that um, I'm, I'm, getting in, I'm getting in my way. Yeah. 
I got my way so fucking much. There's something about me. And, and I say, no, there's something about the wants that you have. Like I, re- I, done, I have done over almost 20,000 hours of one-on-one coaching. Mm. One-on-one. That's not group stuff, standing in front of stages, doing like all the, even podcasting stuff. One-on-one. And not just with people that are struggling to start out. Like you had said at the beginning, like truly elite human beings that have gotten to a zenith in their career. Mm-hmm. And the language that we use creates our world. That's what human beings uniquely do. We use words and those words, when repeated, creates our reality. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Keep yeah. And so here I am, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm not doing what I want this I, I, I wanted to be more. I wanted to impact more kids. And I wasn't making those calls. And so I was watching this episode of Oprah. It's Oprah's favorite episode. There's this lady, Johnny Jocks, who comes on, who had purchased a pair of Oprah's shoes during one of her auctions when she sells her stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's 1997. And I'm watching this. And Oprah calls her out and says, she's got a story to tell. And so this lady was struggling in her life. And... She bought a pair of these shoes, put them in the corner of the room. And every day that she didn't feel like going on, she would go and stand in Oprah's shoes. Oh, wow. And in that moment, everything clicked. I was like, oh, wait, I did the same thing when I played football. Mm -hmm. I was embracing these other heroes of mine. Mm -hmm. And, but Geronimo isn't built (laughs) to go and win in this role. And so I created Super Richard. And Richard's my first name. I've always gone by Todd. And Super Richard was the composite of three of my other heroes, Superman, because I was being indecisive. Mm -hmm. So the trait I needed was to be decisive, be the man of action. And then Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Power of Myth, Mm -hmm. The Hero's Journey, invented all that. I saw him on Bill Moyer's PBS uh, special in 1987, talking with George Lucas about Star Wars and all this. And so I, I loved his ability to articulate. And I wasn't, I was, my words were all over the place. So I wanted to be more articulate. And then the third one was just fundamentally as a confident human being who shapeshifted better than anyone, Benjamin Franklin. I mean, the man had seven <laughs> phenomenal careers in right. a lifetime. And so those were my three. And I went to Lens Crafters in West Edmonton Mall, the largest mall in the world at the time. And I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses so that I could do the reverse Superman. Superman put on the glasses to be the mild-mannered Clark Kent, which was his alter ego, as you alluded to at the beginning. And most people think the alter ego is the powerful version. No, Superman needed the alter ego to kind of operate in the world and not be discovered. And so I put on those glasses. And in the end, what I discovered, again, I was just, when you're desperate to do something, you will find ways to do it. And I just happened to find a very productive way, let's say. And those glasses became a shield to what I was concerned about, which was the judgment and the rejection of other people. Because mm-hmm. Super Richard got on those phone calls. And then the final part was, Super Richard was specifically hired to be the advocate for Todd's stuff. Mm-hmm. He cared about Todd. And he wanted Todd to go into the world and do something. Mm-hmm. But he had a hard time because of trauma. I was at the age of 12, raped at a church camp by two men oh over the course God. of a couple of days. And it tore me apart. Because yeah. I grew up in a very loving family. I won the lottery on parents mm-hmm. and um, never told anyone until about six years ago. Wow. And so carried that with me. And Was that in the book? I'm so sorry to laugh. 
No. I, okay, I was like, how did I miss? No, no, no. It wasn't in the book. It wasn't in the book. <laughs> oh my God. Because because oh when the I was right fucking reader. Because actually, Bert, I um when I finished the book was when I came out publicly. I needed to go through the last because I didn't want like to be a wounded mm-hmm. person no, out there. Sense. I was you done don't want with that it. to be your story. Yeah. No. Liam and, believes or, I, yeah. I, I, but, Well, I was date raped in college. I completely yeah. understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I've talked about that on No, no, I know, I know, before. but I feel now so I feel So I understand what you're talking about about having something really traumatic happen and that's not going to define who you are. No. I had a certain point in time decided if I let that have power over me, I've let 10 minutes of my life control everything that I'm doing yeah. and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So it was a tragic, horrible 10 minutes and it took me years, years. to get to the place where yeah. I could say, wait, you don't own me for 10 minutes of yeah. my time. Yeah. You don't own me anymore. But it, it did, yeah. that wasn't like next day. Yeah. That was years later and some therapy. But you, I completely understand. Not, I don't want that to be my story. Yeah, that was ten minutes of my life. Yeah, that was right. one moment at camp. That's horrific and violent, I'm and sorry violating, that to you, by the and way. shifting. I want to make sure that I no, say, yes. I'm sorry that happened to both of you guys. No, 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 it's no, terrible. It's, yeah, and uh, my my challenge has been that is that they videotaped it, and it's still to this day a very popular videotape in the pedophile community, and I get trolled with it weekly. Um, they send GIFs to my email underneath the name of, say, Bert Kreischer, you email me and I'll open it up and there'll be the GIF of it. And it happens frequently. So that's been, you know, I've had many different therapists go, oh, that's a hard one for me to solve. And so, oh my you know, God. I've built up and I even have like software on my computer from the FBI because they've tried to like track people down. But anyways, not to bring that's a lot of crazy. heavy, but, but I'm just saying I'm like, so sorry. but, but this is, I, I actually look at it as an extraordinarily powerful thing because it's, it shows, just from my own experience, mm-hmm. the incredible um, resiliency of the human of spirit. Of a human being, right? And then when you really do want something, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll find a way. Mm-hmm. Like our creative imagination, and I say this in the book, is at the end of the day, like whether someone uses an alter ego or not, like that's, that's mm-hmm. fine. But if I invite anyone into any idea is that our real superpower as human beings is our creative imagination. Ooh. And our and we, ability to change the way we think. Yeah, and our and we and we lose it at a young age, mm-hmm. and some of that is just biological. So mm-hmm. from the age of six months to seven years of age, we're in what's called the theta brainwave state. Mm-hmm. Okay, so theta is where the zone and flow state lives. Yeah. So there's beta. This is waking mind. It's kind of where we're probably at right now, and we might go into alpha, which is like being really focused. It's like when you're sitting down and you're coming up with sets, you're kind of getting into a bit of a groove. Mm -hmm. You're not quite in flow, but you're in a groove. You're focused time. And then theta is when three hours later, you're like, oh shit, look at all this. Like you fell into theta there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's when you're accessing your most creative side of you. Yeah. Now, kids from six months to seven years of age, they live in theta. Why? Because we need them to be sponges to Mm -hmm. soak up as much information as possible. When you're in theta, your frontal lobe isn't really activated. Your critical thinking skills, you're not judging something, you're not reasoning something out. Little kids can't really do it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. That's why they're like, why the heck did you do that? (laughs) Like, what were you thinking? They weren't in the context of an adult would. Mm -hmm. So then at seven and a half, girls start developing that frontal lobe, that activity quicker. We also start to develop a sense of me. Mm -hmm. That's when the identity starts to show up. There is no identity for a five-year-old. They don't Mm -hmm. have an identity yet. You develop an identity. Mm -hmm. And... And all these creative and playful things that you did as a kid. When I was five, jumping off couches, Superman. Then I'm going to play nurse with my younger sister, being the doctor. And then I'm out in the out in the farm, you know, doing something else with my brothers, trying to trying to be my favorite um, hockey player. 
Patrick Waugh was my favorite uh, goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. And so, and we do all these things. Why? Because I'm like, oh, if I can be like Patrick Waugh, mm -hmm. I can stop anything. Yeah. Or if I can be Superman, I'll be able to jump six inches further mm -hmm. than someone else. And so we naturally do it to sort of see what more could come out of us if I wasn't this Todd guy with these limitations. Mm -hmm. And then we forget about it as we grow older. Some people don't, like you did. You well, did the machine. You built it. Or with Kobe when I built the Black Mamba with him because he was going through an ego death. Mm -hmm. He was going through an ego death mm -hmm. with the trial that he was going through. Mm -hmm. And he knew that season he was going to be destroyed specifically when he went into the garden or when he went into play against the Celtics. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to build a different alter ego. He had originally reached out to my mentor, Harvey, and Harvey said to him, no, you're going through an ego death. And this other guy that I've worked with, and he was being very nice, <laughs> kind of putting me as, on a peer level, he focuses on identity-based performance because that's kind of what I do as I focus on identity-based performance. Because mm -hmm. when I change your identity, boom, I can, I can shift someone very quickly because your habits, your attitudes, your beliefs, your behaviors are stacked on your identity, how you see yourself. Mm -hmm. There's, a, there's, you, you, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. It is, it, it is who I am on stage for the most comics. Most comics, who I am on stage is not who I am off stage. You'll yeah. find that most comics. I'll use an example of just someone random. Tom Segura is boring as fuck <laughs> off stage, mm -hmm. like the most boring person to talk to. So offstage. random that you would say. And that. then on stage, he is. <laughs> He's, I wouldn't say he's dynamic, but he's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, but no, but no, but no, but he is, he is definitely well, not maybe who he is. maybe on off the basketball um, court is when you should yeah. talk about him. Right? On, on stage, <laughs> he is very talented. Off stage, he will not give you what he'll give you on stage. Nor should he. Yeah. So. Well, that, tell the fans that, because I think. Okay, so, fan, you, so here's the language I'd give you. Okay. So uh, there's a. Netflix special uh, with Brian Bosworth. You remember the boss? Yeah, of okay. course. Again, nickname. So uh, his wife talks about how she hates the boss, <laughs> hated the boss. And, you know, they'd be sitting in a diner and he talks about like when he's in Norman, Oklahoma and it's, you know, a Thursday and he's sitting there eating with his teammates and people are like, the boss! And he would immediately snap into that character mode and he was just on all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if I was coaching him, I would say, you turn to them and say, oh, you want the boss. He's showing up at one o'clock on Saturday down at the field house. Don't miss it. So it's this, it's this disconnecting of it so that people can see you as more than just this character, yeah. right? That's what happened to, and that's what trapped, you know, I don't know everything about Chris Farley, but that would have been one of the things that would have trapped Chris is he's yeah. playing through the jester all of the time mm -hmm. through this, deep-seated need to think that he has to be satisfying these people and he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And creating this nice boundary system. Mm -hmm. And even like me, like, I mean, I'm a challenger type when I'm coaching and because I, I have to deal with some big egos and, and sometimes I'm trying to crack through some of these hard exteriors mm -hmm. with, uh, with them so that I can get to like pure honesty with you mm -hmm. so that I can go, oh, that's the thing that's kind of getting in the way. That's the perception that you have. You were talking about before, like just, just look, changing the way you look at something mm -hmm. can change the thing. Yes. So now I'm done working and, and I still have my, my, my glasses that I wear. That's what I, it's just part of my uniform. Mm -hmm. And then, but I have a bracelet that sits on a hook. 
um, just outside the door going into my house. And it was made by Molly and Sophie, my two oldest daughters, 10 and nine now. And it says MSC, Charlie is my little guy. And then it's got Val, my wife's name, and then the words only love. And the reason it says only love is because um, right after my boy was born, I was struggling because um, these, uh, these, uh, this trauma was coming home to roost. I, I was not able to hold it down any longer. Totally. And it was because what triggered it was my son's birth was very bad. Um, my wife was on, it was emergency C-section. She lost four and a half pints of blood. She's flatlining. Charlie comes out, cord around his neck. He's flatlining. And I'm just sitting there going, um, I'm going to be a single dad to two little girls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it worked out great. But then I had this business partner who was trying to entrap me as well. And so it was that feeling of entrapment. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing that will trigger because of my, yeah. this experience that I had totally. being, being trapped. So uh, I pick up Molly and Sophie. So we live in West Chelsea, close to Chelsea Piers. And I'm putting them both into the carriage. Molly's about four and Sophie's two and a half. And Molly, my oldest, is just sweet. Her default mode is happiness. Mm. Like, uh, and she puts her hand up to my face and she says, Dad, are you happy? No. And I said, yeah, I'm happy. Why? And she's like, oh, because you've been yelling at us a lot lately and it's making us sad. And I was like, I will, in that moment, I was like, I will not give these kids secondhand trauma. Right. I will not. And so that was my process oh, of wow. me fixed turning to, and that was, this was in uh, uh, March 5th, 2017. So um, now going back to this bracelet. So that's, so I wrote on a piece of paper that night and I still have it. And it's where it's only love. I will only act through only love. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the bracelet. And I, when I'm putting it on, the, once it gets to the, the knuckle part of my hand, this is my ritual. I imagine uh, my dad and Mr. Rogers. Because <laughs> Mr. Rogers is the exact opposite of a challenger personality type. And I grew up loving Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that's the spirit of the characters that I, and then I bring up, then I finish putting it on my hand or my wrist and I snap it. And I'm going into now dad mode. I'm retiring that challenger coach guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be there. And and this allows me to play with some new traits and new, some new attributes of being patient and kind and loving and mm-hmm. softening my mannerisms a little bit. And what I like about what you're saying is that I think that you you involve a lot of visualization, right? Even though it's not the, maybe not the way people maybe think of visualizing. I see a field of green. Right. Not like that. Yep. But really seeing what you want and seeing what you want to achieve and mm-hmm. seeing who you want to be. Yeah. And in that ritual, it's kind of a form of visualization where you're you're manifesting. You're imagineering that it. Energy. You're imagineering, you're imagineering it. it. Yeah. I really like that a yeah. lot. And, you know, I think people do, for me, when I was trying to unravel myself and figure things out, I had uh, the word integrity meant a lot to me. And it I had still to, means a it lot does. to her. I had to it, define that word. She said it word. so fucking much <laughs> when we were dating that it. I started using it a lot. She's like, you're acting out of integrity. Well, that, mm. But I had to then, uh, when I figured out that word really did something for me, I had to thoroughly <gasps> define it. I couldn't just use it as a word. It had to be thoroughly defined. What does that mean really in its entirety? And I keep adding to that definition. And sometimes things shift away from that definition. But for me, having that focus, which I don't, I never did an alter ego or anything like that. I think that's a wonderful tool 
uh, to, to overcome what you believe are your limitations. Mm-hmm. Well, because it is what you believe. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. true. And I think a lot of people yeah. grow up in such a punitive pattern of talking to themselves in a punitive way. You see, you didn't do that again today. Yes. See, see what you, you failed you at again fuck. today. Yeah. And if you, you say, for fuck. me, I go talking to myself that way is out of integrity. So I'm not going to talk to myself that way. Yeah. But it's a clearer what you're what you're talking about is a is kind of a clearer way to say, oh, Oprah, Oprah embodies everything that I'm looking for. So mm. I'm going to step in Oprah's shoes so that I can feel those things. That's one a day, very awesome, clear way to yeah. visualize. And one day you don't path. need That's Oprah's right. shoes. That's right. One day you outgrow right. because it becomes, a lucky sweatshirt to get on an airplane. Because, <laughs> because it becomes second nature. It's a way of That's changing right. the way you think. That's right. It actually, I think, changes the pathways in your brain. I just think that because I think that. But yeah. I mean, I the things that I worked on when I was really trying to learn that integrity piece I don't think about it anymore. Most of the time, it's second nature. Yeah, and even visualizing stuff. I worked on visualizing a lot in my early twenties, and I worked on like manipulating energy yeah. to protect myself. I'd like sit down and visualize myself in a in a bubble, bubble. of like gold light, she, and, then and I would physically push. You're right. I would yeah. push the energy that I created that came out of my core into the space. So that I cleared negativity out of the space. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore because I think my being does that automatically. Oh, yeah. you did it the other night. Well, because something came into, yeah, I did it the other night because something overpowered it. Uh-huh. And I went, oh, okay. We all woke up. Our entire family it. woke up in different states, in different countries at the exact same fucking time with a fucking bad dream panic attack that there were ghosts. I didn't have a bad dream. She I woke did. up scared. Wow. I woke up so, and I was really scared. And I went, oh, <clears throat> something's energetically in, in my space. Mm-hmm. I was in a different room than him uh, because he was snoring. And our daughter was uh, here. We were on vacation. <laughs> and all three of us had the same feeling at the same time of night. Yeah. And I did that. I did that again, where I surrounded myself, I surrounded him in a bubble, and I pushed all the shit out of our hotel room. Mm-hmm. And then, and I went right back to sleep. But I mean, your brain is so, we don't even know. No. A, a thimble <clears throat> full of what our brain can do. No. I've been in this space for 27 years. I mean. You learn something every day, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, my, one of the things that I had done to help kind of scale the peak athlete, because I ended up selling it to Real Madrid, because I went and built up like part of their performance program was the world of psychology and sociology, even though they're in classified as the sciences, they're, least, they're the least sciency of all the sciences. Mm. So neuroscience was actually just burgeoning at the time. And so I brought in neuroscientists help because I'm like, here are some patterns that really work for these athletes that I'm working with. Can you explain why? Mm-hmm. And so I indexed very heavily in the very beginning around science and neuroscience to explain these things. And that's why I try to do inside the book is, you know, has there been any studies done on alter egos? No, of course not. Mm. But the component principles Mm -hmm. as to why this thing works, Mm -hmm. there have been studies done on these things. Mm -hmm. That's why I say intentionality is so important or the attitude of playfulness. For me, the Mm. attitude of playfulness Playfulness. is 
The attitude of playfulness is the final golden key that unlocks zone and flow state. That is right. Because just look at your children. Yes. That's why you got to yell at them nine times to come to dinner. It's because they're in theta. They're That's in right. flow and zone. Yep. And they're being playful. And so it's like, it's you were unwittingly doing this when you said <clears throat> the machine, there's a kind of a playful little nudge that's there. And it's that thing that bring. it's the spirit that comes out of you through that useful avatar to help you go do this thing on stage. It's, it was, it's so, my, I mean, I could do an entire episode just on me and my nicknames, but it, it represents, go ahead. Before you say that. Oh, no, I won't. Do you remember the other day? It was yesterday when I was talking to you about play. <clears throat> yeah. Do you remember yeah. how play to me is the closest you can get to God or into the flow of the universe. It is. It's play is the key to everything. When we got married, one of my friends said, okay, you realize you're marrying like a nine-year-old teenager. Like every day is going to be play. Yeah. So you're going to have to know that if it's time to write the checks for the bills, it ain't him because mm -hmm. he just stays in play. But that's why he's so good at his art is because yeah. he stays in play as much as he can. Uh, I I think play is the simplest, clearest way to describe uh, freedom. Mm -hmm. Like freedom, that sounds stupid, but freedom from like the punitive thoughts in your yeah. head, freedom from- Ego. Ego, yes, yeah. Yeah. is play. Yeah, There's no yeah. ego in play. When you say pretend, pretend I'm going to be Geronimo and you're going to be yeah. Pocahontas, they weren't even in the same mm -hmm. vicinity, but who cares? <clears throat> Sorry, yeah. interrupted mm, you, but no, I'm no, so no. excited about play because I've always believed play is a key. Play is fucking, and no one talks about it because it seems such a simple term and word and well, how childish. Can I, how can I apply this right now on you know my ambitious goals towards what I'm trying to? And I'm like, oh, play. I got a lot of reps. I can show you how to do it. I'm and you know at, you're oh, in the, the way, right. I'm not reading something. I'm looking at the chapters of your book. Yeah, but you know you're in the right. You know you're you know you're where you're supposed to be in life, and I don't mean in a project or writing a paragraph or whatever. But in general, when your life, when your life mostly is effortless, which is what play is, mm. then you know you're on the right path. I, I was talking about this to Isla yesterday. I think it's really brave for someone to realize when their path needs to pivot and to pivot with the path. And if you do that properly, that path becomes very effortless. Yeah. And that's all about well, pivoting in play. That's actually mental toughness. So mental toughness is your ability, your ability to be flexible and adaptable despite what you're getting as circumstances. So I've been teaching people on mental toughness for 27 years. I didn't that's know. That's what it actually is as a definition. Now, that's my definition I give people. Mm. You know, after all these reps, it's like, no, my best people, like their mental toughness, the reason they're so mentally tough is because it doesn't matter what's happening in the game. They can still adapt. They right. can still be flexible. So if you go in thinking, like, we're going to score a touchdown on this opening drive and then we're going to stop the defense or stop the offense on the next one. And like, if it doesn't go that way and you break mentally, like, mm -hmm. well, now you're just, you're mentally weak. Mm -hmm. So it, the, the enemy of most like developing this resiliency and mental toughness is um, adhering to an expectation that everything has to always go this way. Mm -hmm. And that's where- Oh, <laughs> it's the ability oh. to pivot. You've worked with such elite athletes. I'm afraid that someone may say, I am no Kobe Bryant, yeah. who, who, who is a different beast. He can was. you, can you explain to Leanne? I don't, I don't think she knows the eccentricities of just how different of an athlete, how different of a person his brain was. Just walk him through like the way everyone else operated, the way Kobe worked. Uh, 
his level of at at pretty much most of the elite levels of you know it, and really not just sport but you know business clients or you know public figures entertainers is just really their level of consistent discipline that they had it's really remarkable mm-hmm. um consistency at the fundamentals mm-hmm. um the consistency and commitment to uh i'll say a quote from one of my other uh i think he kind of summarized it the best uh this guy will go down as a legend in his sport as well and his pursuit was to make sure that everyone on his team not only his team but the the uh other team um would his responsibility was to show them just how much further they need to go to even sniff his cleats. Mm. And now I'm going to go out there and show you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant even showing up his own teammates sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so that is a super ego for him, but it drives that performance. Mm-hmm. But it also is why that person was the first one on the field at practice mm-hmm. and the last one to leave at mm-hmm. practice. And being wholly unsatisfied with getting seven out of 10 in the upper right-hand corner of the looping kick from 25 yards away from the net if we're on the soccer pitch to, no, I'm not leaving until it's 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Tiger Woods exhibited the exact same thing. So Mm -hmm. there's just a switch in them that is very, very different um, that is not something that I can coach someone towards. But but you can coach them to deal with how the that affect their behavior affects other people and the things people say to that person. Because I, I will say I'm I'm no Kobe Bryant, I'm no Tiger Woods. Yeah. But I I I definitely am obsessed with work and working as hard as I can and making sure I take on the bigger thing and do the bigger thing and 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 try to actualize bigger yeah. dreams. And there's a pushback. I, don't, I think I will say this candidly: um, comedians do do not um, do not uh, celebrate ambition. Mm-hmm. Or collectively, we got into comedy yeah. to sit on a couch, watch TV, and write a joke about it. Yeah. And, and that's that's just us. And I think things shifted and changed. And at a certain point, I realized I had kids, and I needed to out ambition myself. And one more thing before we I, yeah. I, I get you to answer that. But the one part of the th- the machine that I loved was the day I got, the day I told that story on Rogan, that moniker, that moniker uh, elevated me. Joe Rogan said, from this day, Joe Rogan. And yeah. I, I respected Joe before anyone in this world knew who he was, meaning I, I just had a profound respect for him. But when he said, from this day forward, he'll only be referred to as the machine and he needs to tell that on stage. Well, he held me to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. I was going to work harder yeah. and tell a story until it got good. I was going to be, I was going to fail. And he gave me a, a, a safety net. I was going to fail in front of these audiences until the story got good. But also, he's our, he's my guy. He's our guy. We're going to love him. And all of a sudden, the machine got a, I got a really close place to my heart. So I went, yeah, I'm the fucking machine. I'm the fucking machine. Yeah. I'm the fucking machine. And so I tethered myself to a nickname I gave myself, but Rogan really gifted me. And, 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 but, but talk about the pushback because I, I want, I go back to that landscaping guy who's sitting in a car with eight other dudes right now, yeah. listening to this podcast going like, I could be running this company. I know I could. Right. Before you go back to that. Well, we're never going to let him talk. Yes, we are. They're like, how did Burt Burton land like on a date? Because you know, oh, shut Just up. kidding. <laughs> so, uh, I'm from a real small town in, in Georgia. Yeah. Right. 
uh, really blue collar. So what you just said about being consistent with the fundamentals, any person on the planet can work at. Yeah. They may not function the way Kobe does, but everybody can improve their consistency with fundamentals. Every person on the planet. Yes. So if that is what you saw in these high achieving people, a person at home wanting to start a landscaping company can hear that and go, maybe it's my consistency. Yeah. Maybe I can focus on that. Yes. Right? That's so simple. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. And um, so going back to your question about the the landscaping guy who's sitting there and he's like, how can I uh, apply this? Um, that's my favorite thing is the Instagram DMs that I get from people who read the book or listen to the audio book and uh, they're like, hey, like I'm not a pro athlete or whatever, but we all have identities mm-hmm. and then we all have different roles that we play. And then most everyone has aspirations that they might feel like they're not fulfilling yet. And I'm simply giving them an extremely practical tool. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing. I mean, I come from the farm and ranch and there's a saying that my dad would say, and it's a common vernacular amongst the farming community is when there's an idea that's just bad, he'll say, well, that dog won't hunt. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's a very popular one in the South as well. And so I always index towards being very practical with people because that was always my biggest issue as someone who was young and trying to develop myself was I get around personal development, self-help books. And I'm like, did these people even work with a human being or are they just regurgitating (laughs) someone else's ideas? And the regurgitated ideas that came from someone else, did that person even, were they on the field of play? Like I'm Do in- Do not get me fucking started on charlatans. <laughs> uh, all internet, sorry. all Instagram is, is people regurgitating fucking ideas. Well, it is- and as someone who invented the IP, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, have, I have an incredible legal team and I'm known in my industry as just don't poke the bear. Right. Like, don't take my stuff. Mm-hmm. And ironically, on my way here, Bert, one of my closest friends vacation together. Uh, we've had a massive falling out because he took my content. And this is someone I helped mentor and strategize their pathway. And just, and they didn't need to do it. Um, and so, yes, the charlatans. But uh, this was when I went to your good friend, Rachel Hollis's house, and I did yeah. her podcast, which is why I'm sitting here, really, mm-hmm. as well. Um, when she opened the door and we met, she's like, this is going to be a fun podcast. Because <laughs> in the research that I've done on you, um, you're not afraid to throw punches at other people. And I said, no, I throw punches at other, I throw punches at bad ideas. Mm-hmm. And if someone's face happens to get in the way of that bad idea, that's on them. We poke holes in waterbeds so people can't fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a great line. That's a title for a book. I poke holes in waterbeds. Inside joke, y'all. Oh my goodness, inside that's a good joke. one. And yeah, um, no one said sex on a waterbed in on this couch. I have no. Uh, as <laughs> no one has. I'm saying. I'm saying no one has. Let's not get into this. I haven't. Let's not get into this. Keep going. So I, I index very high, highly towards being practical and useful for other uh, people. And yeah. so I'm on the field with real human beings trying to do hard things every single day. And I know how to translate that to the landscaper who's sitting inside of the truck with seven other dudes waiting for the job or whatever. And um. And so in the book, I give the method away in the book. Like it's yeah. there. Like there's no call to action to come and sign up for my workshops right. or something like that. It's there. If you yeah. did come to something that I was doing. You wrote doing, it to be applied. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, if I didn't, I would just feel the judgment of my own father. Like, you know. Well, hey, that and. We, we plant seeds to, to create a harvest. 
not just for ourselves, but for other people as well. Well, you'd be full of shit if at the end of it, you said, now come to my my seminar because well, I've only given you half. That yes. is the... No. Well, that's the way. And I, right and I but that's how don't. some people hide their stuff, though. That's how people hide their charlatanism is that, you know, they're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, they have a business. And so you go there and then it's like, well, no... You didn't get everything. There's also these seven other doorways you got to walk through as well. Or you got everything in the book, but we made you think you didn't. Mm -hmm. Now you came, you go, this is all in the book. Well, that's not in integrity, is it? Mm. Well, there's the, my problem I have, I am, I don't think people see this in me, but I'm consistently searching. I'm always trying to look for answers to things that are broken in me, right? Like, uh, it's like, I'm, I love, I love. I say, I say a couple names. There's more than this, but I love Peter Atiyah. I love Andrew Huberman. I love Cam Haynes. I love David Goggins. I love Rogan. I love mm. the way they inspire. There's more. Jocko. There's so many great, 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 great names of guys who are... Jocko's a great example who takes what he learned in the military, what he yeah. figured out in the field, and then applies it to business leaders yes. and, and companies. It's so fucking brilliant. That's why I'll read... His book, Cam Haynes' audio autobiography, is I don't I mean this with love. I don't know if he intended it to be a self help book, but but he just talks about the things that were broken in him, the way he fixed them, and then yeah. you can sit. And I, I listened to it on the, one of the longest jogs of my life because I was like I just it wasn't done. Yeah, but that's what I love about your book. There's there's some books that are like uh, uh, time to kick ass and take names later, and then you start listening and you're like. I already do this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already do this shit. I'm looking for stuff where I go, where first of all, all the answers are in the book. I want, I want to, I want to hear things and learn to, but I, I want to connect with them. You, I don't want you to have to go buy a bunch of new stuff to, in order to get your quick fix. Yeah. I want you to tell me what I can do and, and apply it. Like you talked about totems and totems are very important to me ever yeah. since I was a kid. I can name all my totems. One's Yoda. It was mm-hmm. a totem of protection. Of I have an owl as a totem. Um, I, I have a bunch of totems that I that I connect with. But you talked about totems in the book. Well, and when you take a look at the world that we live in right now, it's uh, it's lost a lot of its meaning. Um, rituals like we used to be pulled through as a as a young female. There would be always typically in a tribe a a ritual of becoming a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was a very important day and then there was a rebirthing for you. And then same thing with boys becoming a man. There's a ritual of Ooh, that. In right? Tanzania, they cover you in mud, let it dry. Then they put you in front of the tribe and they put a bone through the head of your cock and they cut your dick with a rock. And if any of the mud on you cracks, you're not a man. You can't what live in the tribe. What are you talking about? Google it. We had a period party. So we had a period a party. Yeah, yeah. We, we had, had period, period party. parties. When the girls get their period, we yeah. had a big party. Yeah. Which is not the same. No. But By the way, the same person that told me that, that story also gave me a souvenir as a knife, thank you, telling me that it was the chief's knife. So same person that told me that story could have been a charlatan. <laughs> <laughs> but We'll but, see. We'll see what Google says. Yeah. Um, but my point is that like those those rituals and so the totems and the artifacts, that chapter in the book, um, it's kind of like when we're getting through the method of, you know, um, re- building this identity for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, there's a chapter on naming things. I give people lots of practical ways to come up with your version of the machine or your version of Super Richard or Sasha Fierce like this. You know, because I've I've gone through that process with people and and giving yourself a name and and it's important for your brain to do that as well because the moment um, 
the, the hard part of horror movies that makes them so scary is when the evil thing hasn't been seen yet. We don't know what mm -hmm. it looks like. Yeah. But the moment it comes into the view of the camera, we're like, it creates form and substance to it. Now it's mm -hmm. like, oh, now we know how to kill the thing. Mm -hmm. Now we know what it looks like. It's not actually, it's not as big as I thought it was, or it is as big. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to attack it differently. But when it's in the shadows, we yeah. need to pull fear out of the shadows and we need to give the enemy the name mm -hmm. as well. And then we need to give ourselves the name. Mm -hmm. And that's important because it creates form and structure to things. And then I want to make things happen in the real world. That's why there's totems, artifacts, or uniforms that we do, that we talk about in the book. And so like my bracelet and the deep meaning that is imbued inside of that bracelet when I put it on. And you actually talk beautifully about, you know, the golden light that you talk about with some, uh, with, uh, with golfers, I talk about the hula hoop of power. Mm. So when you think about where your golf ball is, there should be the, um, it should be sitting inside of a hula hoop and the ring of it is just outside of your ball and you cannot go inside of that hula hoop of power. It's also got a special color that comes out and goes up into the sky. That's your color, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you step inside of it, it's only pure commitment. Mm -hmm. All of your decision-making happens before you, you never get inside that hula hoop unless you have made decision on this is the club I'm going to use mm -hmm. and this is the speed or tempo or shot I'm going to make with that. Mm -hmm. All the decision-making has to happen because now you're going into execution mode. Execution mode as an athlete is when trust yourself. You've done all the reps, done all Bert. The You've done, done all, all the work. work. And so now you got to- such a great fucking feeling. When you've Allow done it. all the work and you have no thought and you step onto the field and you go, we're ready for this. Yeah, let it go. Yeah, yeah. I had a teacher that used to say, make things happen, then let things happen. Mm -hmm. So you do all the work to set it up and then you just let it go. That's a great line. Yeah. You just make things happen, then let things happen. I had a teacher who used to say, you're drinking muddy water. <laughs> and it meant no one can see through you. So move. <laughs> you're drinking muddy water, Kreischer. The thing you said about bringing the fear out of the shadows and, and making it a substantive, yeah. substantive thing is really powerful too because I think a lot of times people are scared of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And until you sit down and really evaluate what you're scared of and really pinpoint it. Not that you think. No, we as human beings are afraid of the unknown. A hundred percent. And it's wired into us. That's why um, we are wired for uh, negativity patterns. It's just how we're built. It's because when we're out in the savanna and we're trying to find food and we see that bush over there rustle, it's like a bit of fight or flight. And then mm -hmm. the little bunny comes out of it and not the saber-toothed tiger, mm -hmm. right? Well, it's because we need to prepare ourselves for pain mm -hmm. before we can go after pleasure for first. Survival. And so it's survival mode for sure. Talk mm -hmm. about, talk about, and, I, I, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to use, by the way, Google African circumcision. I'm going to grab a water real quick. Oh, here, here. Take yeah. mine. Take oh, mine. So um, African mud circumcision. <laughs> I got to teach these people how to Google over here. <laughs> it exists. It exists. Tanzanian African She's mud circumcision. She's got safe search turned on Google. That's why. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I can't wait to see what ads come up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Amazon. That's your laptop. So uh, I'm only speaking tribal circumcision. Oh, it's a two, you can go watch one? <gasps> Shut the fuck up. We got some B-roll. Um, I think <laughs> Tim, Tim Tebow does them. This is a different conversation. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me get back on this. So in your book, and by the way, I have to be candid. I only listen to like half of it. But because because I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't I like. You're I, out of time. I don't have a ton of time. But yeah. I was listening to your book and there was a part where I realized the bravery it takes to expose yourself or to put yourself up up 
up up for slaughter mm-hmm. uh, is is crazy vulnerable compared to the comfort in not challenging yourself and just sitting that to that one person. If you're that landscaper, look over to your left. That one person who enjoys telling you you're nothing, you're not going to be anything. Mm. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get two tall boy Tecates at lunch. Do you want one? Yeah. And hold you down. I don't know where I heard that in your book, but that was on the 101, and I was thinking, fuck, man, I was there. I've been there. Now, I've been on the other side, too, where the negative shit's written about me. Yeah. But I've been there. Where you where there's a comfort in being the troll. I think you use the word troll. Yeah. So like in chapter three, I talk about one of the more sinister things that holds my clientele back or clients back or think humans back. This is it. This is it. This yeah, is it. Is there's kind of three main hidden forces. One of them being tribal narratives. And this and it, it is that um, there are certain groups that we're a part of that whatever idea you have of what it means to be an American or Canadian, a Jew, a Muslim, a woman, uh, a graduate from... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Such sorry. An I can't help it. I, I, I'm a com- I am a comedian. You have to be, please. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and... Uh, or what it means to be from middle of nowhere, right? That's why the very dedication of my book, it says, for all the people from the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. this one's for you. Because... I grew up town of 82 people incorporated, smallest statistically the town in, in the province of Alberta. Wow. And I felt I, like- I think I know three people from Medicine Hat, by the way. Crazy. I, I, I think I know actually a ton of people from Medicine Hat. These tribal narratives can hold us back. So what does it mean to be a soldier? So I've done a lot of work with uh, military people as well um, because they're using, we were talking about totems and artifacts. This brings things together. So they have a uniform. And the U.S. military does a great job when you're picking up your, even your pamphlet of what it means to be a Marine. And here's our credo. Mm-hmm. And this is what we stand for. And these are the other legends that came before you as well. So now there's a whole story around what it means to put on this uniform. And boy, do you ever feel like you're going to stand up straighter when you have police uniforms do the same thing. Like if, I, if, you were, if you were to be put into a police uniform, you're going to stand differently. You'll actually start to think differently. What's going on there is this psychological phenomenon called enclosed cognition. You even gotten to this part of the book. Enclosed cognition. And what it is, you'll love this. And it explains the machine in many ways. Um, We as human beings tell stories about um, the world around us, articles, artifacts. So because of that, when you put on something whatever association you have to that thing, you will actually naturally adopt the traits and characteristics of whatever meaning you've given to that article of clothing. Or if you possibly take it off. Yeah. Like declothed cognition. That's right. You definitely become the machine. machine. I love taking my fucking shirt off. Yeah. I have sex with Leanne with a shirt on because I don't want to give it all. <laughs> wow, yeah. So much hair everywhere. I mean, come on. And then, and then right what... as I have an orgasm, I rip it off and I go, that's right, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just being kind. You're yeah. a kind soul. So sweet. So sweet. That so guy, sweet. So caring. So in clothed Keep cognition. So these, but in clothed cognition is play. Is Well, it can be. It can yeah. also trap people. So oh. going back. So I'm talking to Fort at, at Fort Bragg. Army Rangers, there was a couple of Navy SEALs that were there, but it was mostly Army Rangers and Green Berets that were there, and then some of the um, other enlisted folks. There's about 250, 300 guys in the room. And I'm talking to them about, like, what does it mean? Like, hey, what does it mean to have this uniform on? Okay. 
then I bust out a stat in the job. Again, talk about throwing punches. My job is to make them feel uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, do you know uh, what, um, what job or role in culture in our society has the highest rates of, highest rates of uh, domestic violence and uh, divorce? The military and police. I was going to say police. Now, I'm not going to excuse away negative behavior, but let me just play this out for you. Because of enclosed cognition and what it means to wear this uniform mm-hmm. and, this, and the meaning that they've given to this uniform is so that you can go and do what? A certain job out there. Yeah. Right? Follow orders. Do difficult things. See difficult things. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, you're done your shift for the day. You go home. You're still wearing those tan boots. And you're still wearing that uniform when you walk through the threshold of that door, don't you? And then you wonder why it's difficult for you to switch into something else in that home. So what I would encourage all of you to do is to find a new uniform. What's your dad uniform? And I would encourage you to, if you've got, if you can't get changed before you go home, before anyone comes to you, if you can go get changed, go into your phone booth, have your phone booth moment and put on that next cape for yourself, that next uniform or get changed, you know, at the barracks or whatever, and then go home. And now you've got another uniform. Mm -hmm. So I talk about this. One of the top guys at Fort Bragg comes up, asks me to come around the corner and he's crying. And he, we go outside the building because he can't let his people see him cry. And he's like, um, when I go home, so my wife and I have been sleeping in the same room for over 18 months. He snores? He snores? Is yeah, it snores? he snores. <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to sound like I uh, beat up Leanne. And my kids want nothing to do with me. They're 9 and 11. Um, the story's in the book. And I, I, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. And you just made everything make sense to me because you're right. I go home. I have, I have dinner with my uniform on and all this stuff. So gave my email and said, we'll just stay in touch. Like just, just implement this. Just test this out. Be mm-hmm. curious and, and see what happens. So he emailed me seven weeks later and he said, just want to let you know for the last three weeks, my kids run to the door, happy mm-hmm. to see me. And I'm sleeping in the same bed as my wife now for the last two weeks because I have a pair of uh, tan cargo shorts and a specific golf shirt that I bought, that I wear every day from American Eagle Outfitters. And that's my dad uniform. Mm-hmm. And I sat there with, you know, your ideas that you presented with, and I added the traits and the qualities and the attributes, just like there's a credo for the military. Mm-hmm. I have a credo for who's the guy who's showing up mm-hmm. because I don't want to be the same military dad that I had right. before where I was barked at yeah. and I was made to feel bad. So that enclosed cognition is is a part of this process. Like I'm not trying, that's my, we're going back to like the charlatans. They're trying to invent things for you to do that actually isn't how your brain is structured. Mm-hmm. This is just a natural trait human beings have because we're storytelling beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are. That's the emotional part of uh, ourselves, adding meaning to the things that we do. Can I give you one final story before we go on on this? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was like, wait, so, do you have to leave? No, <laughs> no, God, no. Um, so uh, there's a lady in uh, University of Minnesota that wanted to do a study on enclosed cognition and they used kids six to eight years of age. And they had this uh, puzzle box set up with a bunch of padlocks on it, okay? And then they had keys to unopen up all the locks. Keys didn't work though. And they were gonna test the kids' grit and resilience. So they bring in these kids individually, hand them the keys and say, hey, let's see how fast you can unlock this puzzle box. And so they would track all the results from all these different individual kids. Then they brought in a rack of clothing specifically Batman costumes and Dora the Explorer costumes. And then they brought in different kids and they said, hey, pick your favorite uniform out, costume, put it on, 
Then they gave them the keys and said, that's the task over there. Get after it. Tracked all the results. The thing that was surprising for them was they weren't prepared to um, discover the vocalized self-talk of the kids. So how they're talking about themselves as they're doing it. So kids, as they're trying it in their own plain clothes, would say things like, oh, I'm not good at puzzles. This is too hard. I can't figure this out. And they would quit. The kids who were wearing Batman costumes or Dora the Explorer costumes would say things like, Batman would never quit, so I'm not going to quit. Dora the Explorer always finds a way, so I'm going to find a way. Disassociation, to loop this back to something we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Their identity was saved by the veneer of this little shield that they had. Mm -hmm. And they could play through now this mm -hmm. other thing. Other thing too is they were also smiling a lot more, even though they're not having any success. They're smiling as they're, going, as they're making their way through it. They're being playful. Mm -hmm. The kids who are being judged by the other people, because that's the perception, I'm being judged by someone else and I'm terrible at this. I need to find an excuse as to why I can't do it. That's why they vocalize, oh, I can't figure this out. I'm stupid. This is too hard. It's, everything's about I am. I am this. I'm terrible at this. I'm stupid. How can I not figure this out? The other kids are like, they're having fun with it. They're failing. Results aren't changing. So I go back to authentic self. Yeah. Very common term out there. Authentic self is a very common term. Yeah. And, and, and how, can, surf, and how could you argue with it, Bert? Because you, it sounds wonderful, but I'm telling you it's bullshit. Yeah. It is bullshit because who is the authentic self? The kids who were sitting there in their plain clothes or the kids that were sitting there with the Batman costumes and Dora the Explorer costumes? The reality was they were both being authentic with whatever they were associating themselves with. Human beings will always act through whatever they associate themselves with. Your identity shapes your reality. Mm. So what I do is I build the identity for clientele to help them win on that field of play for themselves. And 99.999% of the time, I need to add a sprinkling of playfulness in there because it just helps. All work so I no say, play. So I say authentic self, not because I'm throwing the entire term out. It's that the world of Instagram and everyone else tries to make you believe that there is one self. There is no one self. I can't put any of us underneath the microscope and find a self. It's not there. What is there is energy because the universe is made of energy. Yeah. So then we must be energy. Mm -hmm. Energy for me, transmuted in human form, is traits, characteristics, abilities. And because that's true, when I'm creating a self for dad, what are those traits and abilities I want to help get out of me? Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm, not, if I'm new to being a dad, well, I don't know, just borrow the mannerisms and traits of someone else as my form of a picture in my own mind of what I want to move towards that will bring those traits out onto that field of play. And then eventually, like we've discussed before, I become that thing. Mm -hmm. I become unconsciously competent. It's like a roadmap, yes. really. It's like a roadmap to, to becoming that person. You, when, when I was young, I did something similar because I thought the integrity piece I started collecting uh, sayings, lyrics from uh, music, uh, quotes from famous people, and I put it all in one notebook that I call my Bible. Mm -hmm. And I thought every thought in this notebook is what I want to embody. Yeah. And it came from all different places, from the Beatles, from the Eagles, from Ben Franklin, from Gandhi, from all these places where I went, this is my roadmap mm -hmm. to get to the person that I want to be. Yeah. Not there now, but that's where I want to be. So I, I like the crazy what you're thing saying is, is very the, much. It, it was there. It was there. It then. was there the whole time. It was, no, it was it there was, because you couldn't have come up with the idea and those exactly. thoughts unless it was in you. It was just disorganized. Yeah. 
and it was improperly presented to myself, yeah. right? I was I was improperly presenting myself to myself. You have a spider right? web full of shit, and every now and then you got to untangle your spider web and pull out the strings to make the bracelet you want or the dress you want. Is that right? I'm just trying to work on an analogy. Yeah. Not bad. I like well, you, I, I like I like what you said one time. I don't know where it is in the thing. I've got I, if truth's going to be told. I, I like to listen to audiobooks and stuff as I go to sleep. So sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and go, yeah. what the fuck am I listening to? Yeah. Predicting, doing your behavior because you want to predict the outcome from other people. Yeah, it creates the trap self. That's it. What is it? Trapped self. So there's Trap a self. there's a there's a picture inside of chapter three where I say there's the extraordinary world. I must have it, fucking woken up out of chapter three. I've talked about chapter three twice. Yeah. So the extraordinary world and the ordinary world. Mm -hmm. And there's a dividing line between the two. Mm -hmm. And the ordinary world feels ordinary because you know what your capabilities are or you know what you can do, but it's not showing up for you in this space. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you're maybe not doing what you want to do is I found so many people are doing the things that they're doing because they're trying to appease other people. Mm -hmm. They're trying to fit in in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's an outside-in approach mm -hmm. socially. You're doing it so that you can get some sort of response out here. And you, I don't know if you ever operate that way. I have in my past as well. It never works out for you. It's uh, in the silver book. I don't know what it's called. Uh, the War of Art. Yes. It's called the definition of a hack. Mm -hmm. The definition of a hack. It is a brilliant type in war of art definition of a hack. It is when your behaviors are are done solely to appease the marketplace. Yeah. Because you think that will help. I think it's about people needing to feel like the hack writes hierarchically. Hierarchically. I can't read hierarchically. Hierarchically. He writes what he imagines will play well in the eyes of others. He does not ask himself, what do I myself want to write? What do I think is important? Instead, he asks, what's hot and what can I make a deal for? Yeah. There are so many hacks. I'm going to simply leave it at that. There are so many hacks in this world. And especially when you get in, in there are so many fucking hacks. I will say that <laughs> I am defiantly not a hack only because I've done some really unpopular things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I've and I've been criticized for them and I've spoken and said stupid shit and I've overshared and I and that is where I that that one sentence when I read that and then when I heard you say it again mm -hmm. I went I watch people uh, craft their their narrative to appease uh, whether it is uh, uh, a fans yeah. or a comment section or the industry or or a producer. They craft their narrative to be something so they won't get blowback or so yeah. that they can sell a product. And I have consistent and I and or or uh, or. So that a, a, a person above them will compliment them because they feel like they're they're in line. Mm. Uh, I the, I've lived my life by the definition of that. And when I heard you say that, it connected. It, it's one thing that connects with me very, very uh, in yeah. in my chest. Yeah, yeah. But so that trap self, and then in the extraordinary. Just to finish off that yeah. idea is 
what what's what's what you feel like is you feel very heroic when you show up in an extraordinary world. And the reason isn't because it's more popsicle bubble gums and rainbows. The hero has villains. Keep going. Absolutely. Like it's uh, but it's because you've intentionally chosen how you want to show up in the world because it's what you want to bring to it. Mm-hmm. It's what, you know, Pressfield just says in the War of Art there of the hack. Like they, what they write, what they want to write. Mm-hmm. And some of the greatest ideas are because someone stayed committed to, this is the idea I want to share with the world. And if one person reads it, one person reads it. But this is what I want to get out into the world. This mm-hmm. is the story that I want to tell. Mm-hmm. And you can detect and you can see and you can feel those people that put out themselves across, you know, YouTube or social media or in newsletters or in written word, whatever the form is, that very much show up that way. Like there's a resonance that goes beyond the voice that it's somehow getting into like some sort of soul level of that person where you're like, oh, there's just something about them. Mm-hmm. Their words actually don't sound that much different than someone else, mm-hmm. but oh my God. I can feel them very mm-hmm. differently. And that's interesting to me. Now, I want to say, hold on. I want to say one thing is that sometimes the way to an original voice is through hacky behavior because in comedy and i'm guilty of this as much as as much as all my best friends comedy is specific because you got to figure out only way to figure out how to do comedy is to watch other comics and then sometimes you will sound like another comic because you just simply don't know how to do the thing but that in comedy and in essence and I, i didn't want to sound like i was calling out any young comics but in essence that is the way to the path to getting your own voice is to somewhat sound hacky until you realize, shit, I'm not doing this for me. That is the path sometimes, mm-hmm. is to be a, the only way you can get in shape is at one point to not be in shape. Yeah. And then you get in shape. Mm-hmm. To be a fat fuck, the only way for people to compliment you on losing weight is to be a fat fuck first. I can have first hand experience on that. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that, I'm, but that goal, that goal of having your, 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 your voice, having and being true to, what you feel your thing is, that goal is what's important, that path. Well, I think for people, sometimes for people to choose to change, they have to understand the why they are, right? I think sometimes people choose that hacky behavior to belong, right? I've now belonged mm-hmm. to these people. Mm-hmm. And to be extraordinary, who do you belong to? It's hard to see that. You have to believe and have faith that once you become in that extraordinary, extraordinary people start showing up. Yeah. They come out of the woodwork. But if you have no experience of that, the fear of being alone or the fear of not belonging, I think one of a, a deep need for human beings is to belong, to belong to Absolutely. another person, to a tribe, to whatever. I would argue, religion. I would argue that a lot of hacks would dislike this podcast. Because it's calling them out on their thing. On the, well, they're going to go like, fuck this. I already know this shit. Yeah. Or well, one would hope I- a hack would then go, oh, I am afraid of not belonging. And that's why I'm not moving forward in this path. Yeah. Maybe I should start really listening to my inner voice and stop doing that and know that my tribe will show up. Because if you're a hack, you're not in the right tribe anyway. Right? Yeah. You should be in in a tribe where you can be It's hard not to be a hack, and I've been self. a hack. It's hard, and I'm not just talking yeah. about comedy. I've been a hack in comedy. <laughs> but, but and I've been a hack in life, and it's hard not to be a hack. Why do you say that? Because it's Or what's terrifying. your context of the way that you're looking at that it's, statement? Uh, uh, so you go to, I go to Florida State. This is my definition of not, of, of, of what you said, of what, what would, what's most important is what you said in your book. Um, I go to Florida State, and... 
I join and I have uh, long hair and uh, I join a fraternity and I notice that uh, it does seem like a lot of guys are wearing uh, khaki shorts with, uh, with an ATO shirt, uh, with an ATO hat, with, uh, with Doc Martens and with white socks. And yeah, I yeah. go, uh, that looks cool. And then I go, I wouldn't mind being one of those guys. And then maybe girls will like me. And then I do it. And then and then I wear flip-flops one day and someone goes, what the fuck are you wearing flip-flops for? I go, yeah, yeah, what am I doing? I'm fucking crazy. And then I hacked myself into an outfit that it took me a couple years to realize this is not, this is, I don't, I want to say actual names. This is Rod's outfit. This is Blake's outfit. This is Trent's outfit. This is their outfit. This isn't my outfit. Sure. This is the outfit I saw everyone wearing and it seemed like they were cool as fuck. And now I wanted to be cool as fuck. So I'm going to do their thing. And then at a certain point, you have to realize for me to be cool as fuck, I got to be me. Right. I got to be the guy that does his own thing and dresses his own way. Now, look, I'm going to wear a jersey if I go to the game. But, but we're talking about college. But, and we're also talking about it as a grown up. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but, like, but, but, but like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, do you know how many, how many A-list comics have told me, when are you going to lose the not wearing a shirt? You need to wear a shirt on stage. Can we do it for just before you go up in front of me? Can you wear the shirt? Yeah. And, and, and I would say taking my shirt off is probably the least hacky thing I've ever done because no one was doing it at the time. And I was doing it quite honestly for myself. And for my own voice of what me made me feel most comfortable on stage, I wanted to be reminded that comedy should be loose and fun and not serious. Mm -hmm. I wanted to take it off because I miss my family and it made me giggle. To take my shirt off made me giggle. It made me think, this is fun. It's Thursday night. I know we have five more shows, but fuck it. Let's kill a beer, take your shirt off. We're coming up to Ram Jam. And then, and then as I continued to take it off, I never at one point thought this will be my brand. I never looked as far as that. The industry one day will dictate that uh, you, that you need a. I never once thought uh, that that you need a thumbnail for your special on streamers. Streamers weren't around, uh, and that thumbnail is pretty identifiable. If you're the guy with the shirt, but you everyone knows you the shirt, and they know your comic, and you have that viral video. Yeah. I never once looked at any of those things. I looked at like I looked at what's going to make Bert happy, and I was criticized. And mocked by my best friends, by the way, Rogan, Tom, Ari, yeah. Joey, all my best friends. Norm McDonald could not stop laughing at the fucking idea that I performed shirtless, how ridiculous it was. And I just was like, yeah, but I like it. I like this is what I do. I, yeah. This is who I am. Florida man. Yeah. But like that, but so But how hard was that for you to do that? So fucking hard. I've I I listened to very big name comics who asked me not not even asked me pretty much told me you're gonna wear a shirt right and i would and i cowered as a successful comic and by the way if you're listening to this and not watching the video portion of that the way that you just express the statement you're gonna wear a shirt right there's a look of disgust that's being transmuted and that's hard and i say i just want to call that out because that's really hard on you questioning whether or not you're you're doing the thing that you want to do is when someone is saying it to you in a state of like disgust. Or passive is so passive aggressive. Yeah. And it's a little and, bit and manipulative. You, like oh, it's very manipulative. It's so manipulative. It's, it's so fucking manipulative. And it's and especially if you're a comic that I respect. Yeah. And you're a friend of mine, you're a close friend of mine, and you're gonna do that. It's so manipulative because I never once, oddly enough, you're gonna be shocked. 
I never once have told anyone what to wear on stage. It's such a non-thought. No one, never did I say, hey, Rogan, long sleeve shirt. Can you not do that? Mm. Why would I? It's such a ridiculous fucking comment that as I say it out loud, I've never said to Tom, hey, man, the jackets. What are we doing with the jackets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you wear a tank top? Basketball jerseys would be good on you. Yeah. Do you realize what a ridiculous... You've been around comedy probably as in, in LA, the, probably the longest out of this room, Rachel. Can you imagine any comic saying to any comic what not to wear on stage? And yet it has come to me by the biggest comics in the business and, and, and asked me to conform so that they were comfortable. And, Stop and, showing off. Ooh. Stop. It gets my dad. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like that moment for me on this podcast, because, you know, like there's all sorts of moments that I've had in interviews. That one actually opened up something for me mm -hmm. as a kid as well, because I was a very outgoing and gregarious kid. And I was fighting against those two older brothers. And uh, I was cocky. Um, and well, that would be the word that they would always say, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, like whatever, you're fighting for attention on the farm or something like that. But they would, I would be constantly told, like, exactly what you were told is exactly what I was told as well. And I don't know, just unlock something in my head. I'm like, oh, wait, that's another little governor that just got released a little bit for me too, of realizing why I did some of the things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like for, there's this real, I, it's really stupid the way that we create these enemies amongst introverts versus extroverts and extroverts only do things for attention. <laughs> no, it's like, because- that's our energy. I'm not uh, doing this because this is just how I like to show up. I vibrate. I, there's, I vibrate. I vibrate. There's three parts. <laughs> there's, there's three. I vibrate. I vibrate hard as fuck. <laughs> I, I, there are three types of people. I said this in the gym the other day, and I said this, I think I said this to this room. There's three types of people, in my opinion. People who love to walk into the room. People who despise walking into a room. And then there's people that don't realize walking into a room is a thing. Now, me, I love walking in. I love making an entrance into a room. If you have a room full of 100 people and, and you're telling me I get to walk in, I practice what I'm going to say when I walk in. I, I get excited. I, and if you tell me there's 100 people walking in the room, I like get ready for it. I, I'm, when I make a phone call, and Leanna can attest to this, I sometimes be like, what's up? He does. Yeah, he practices. What's up? Yeah. Hey, what's up? Like, and so, and then there's my sister, Annie, who if you could magically put her behind a house plant in the corner of a room <laughs> and, and, ma and make her appear, she would give you her entire year's salary to be able to do that and never have to walk into a room. Mm -hmm. Peter, my assistant Peter said, if he was late to class, and Peter loves to learn, <laughs> if he was late to class and, and, the, and the only seat was in the front row, he would not go to class. He would be like, I would just wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't go in. And then there's people like Leanne that don't know that walking into a room or not walking into a room is a thing. They just go, you got to get in the room, right? There's people listening going like, what are you talking about, yeah. about any of this? But I am a hardcore extrovert. I get excited. I get excited yeah. about, I get excited about a lot of things that I think wouldn't excite people. My, my favorite part of doing standup a lot of the times is being washed in gratitude for my own personal gratitude when I step on stage. And you hear people applaud and you go, I always go take a breath and drink this and it won't be here forever. You mm -hmm. know, it's not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. One day you're going to walk on stage 
and people will go, oh, that guy, I remember yeah. him. Yeah, sure. And it happens to all of us, and but it's not happening today, and it, and and, I, and it won't happen maybe tomorrow. Yeah. So like, really drink it in. And there's then there's my sister who, if you said, hey, we need to walk on stage, she'd be like, what is there? A child I could kidnap first <laughs> is can I can I uh, can I put a gun in my like and yeah. then you say to Leanne we need you to go on stage she's like oh, for, okay I will but I don't want to but I will and then you're like go on stage she's like okay fine hey like it's this reminds me of a conversation <laughs> this is actually a little bit of a surreal moment so uh, when I do my my speeches. I like to bring in lots of different multimedia to kind of make my point for me. So like I'll play the clip of like Oprah and Johnny Jocks or I'll play the clip of Tom Hanks talking to Jimmy Kimmel about when he played Mr. Rogers and how he thought he was a bit of a whack job. And then, you know, in that, in that one is him talking about, so he watched 78 episodes of Won't You Be My Neighbor because he's going to be a good uh, actor. He's going to do his work. And through that process, fell in love with this guy. Mm -hmm. And so he talked about how when you put on that red sweater and blue shoes, you feel powerful. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy says, really? And he's like, oh yeah. You feel like you're putting on Batman's cape and cowl. Mm -hmm. What is that? Enclosed cognition. Mm -hmm. The story of the red sweater and blue shoes, if he didn't watch those shows, would not have been powerful. Mm -hmm. But he watched the 78 episodes and he saw the genuine nature of how this man really wanted to show up for kids and give them a place where, you know, an adult is actually interested in their worldview. Mm -hmm. And, and so now it's powerful. So I play these different videos. I have one of you. Oh, no way. Uh, you 22 years old. <laughs> no, no, you doing your podcast. This is why it's crazy to me. You doing your podcast, interviewing Dane Cook and Dane, oh, yeah. there's this one moment where, uh, you guys are kind of talking about his career and how he almost got on SNL and he was trying to kind of figure out his path. And, but now he starts playing these bigger and bigger stage and he's on, he's like, when I'm out there, there's this, it's this big personality that comes out. But most people, I grew up and I was like, I was, I was like, I was an introvert. Like I, but he's, it's this, it's this great line that he says. And it gets to, it, I kind of say it to prove the point of like, you don't know when you're going to meet. And he says, I got off stage this one time and it was in the big arena when he was like in the center of the stage, that special. Yeah. And he's like, I get my foot off stage and I look back and I was like, I'm playing me. That's the me mm -hmm. that I want to be. Not the one that's going to go back there and mm -hmm. be the introvert that everyone's told me that I'm, that's me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the real me. Right. Yeah. And um, it's this really great moment. Like I'll I'll send you the clip of your Please. podcast so you can be rolling <laughs> in here because it's 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 such a great um, example of how this all ends up unfolding for someone in the future when you do be a little bit more playful and you do use your creative imagination just a little bit more and you evolve. You know, Leanne, I've, I've watched Leanne turn into her that, and it's been a fun. You know, I fell in love with her, but. And then I think through having kids, a lot of things change. But even when I met her, I think you sometimes, uh, especially when you fall in love, you see someone's potential. And then I've seen her realize her potential. And you got to realize your potential by being the version of the person that you want to be. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm still not there. I'm really far from there. I have a hard time accepting compliments. I have a hard time with accolades, oddly enough. And I know that it would seem uh, the opposite. I don't, in a weird way, I compensate for them by 
mock bragging about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'll cover myself and like, I can run a marathon with no training at all. But there's a part of me that really, you know, I had a very pivotal conversation with, with Joe bef Rogan before I came here. And uh, when he came here, like today, or as I drove here, as oh, I drove wow, here okay. today, we talked on the phone and uh, <laughs> he was in a polar plunge. <laughs> He's like, if my voice changes, just know that I'm polar plunging. <laughs> and then I said something. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, thank God you told me you're in a polar plunge. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I said, you know, I mock, I, I, I jokingly, openly mock a lot of like your discipline talk. Like I just, I, I, yeah. I just find it's fun to advocate against the stoic. I think it's a fun space yeah. because stoicism is so popular right now. Everyone is um, obsessed with Marcus Aurelius and, yeah. and, and all the stoics. And I, I Google the anti, it's called libertism, I think which is brilliant because my name Bert is in the dead center of it. Yeah. And I, but I, I really, for the first time, and I'm, I'm Catherine Blanford and I got high as fuck in on a bus one night and debated stoicism and the brilliance of it. And, uh, find the opposite. If I, I'm going to fucking step over there. What's it's wrong? called libertism. Just type in libertism. Uh, and so I, but I said, I said to Joe, you know, I don't know if I've had any growth these last four months, you know, with what, with how I'm trying to transform for myself, but I never understood the phrase discipline is freedom. Never mind. If you guys t wrote libertarianism, I'm going to fucking, I think it says libertarianism. I'm almost. Li libertinism. It's right there. Was it? Was, it what's go, the definition? You go, to, go to the Wiktionary. Think, yeah. Is there? Hold on. If you're a libertinist, you're a birdist. Are you fucking kidding me? The definition of libertism is anything into debauchery, impulse, sexual promiscuity, lack of restraint, and and moral authority. As someone who doesn't like being told no and loves to fucking get loose and go after it. Go back one page. Yeah, it says it's 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 a lack. It's a characterized by self indulgement. What's birdism? What's birdism? I want to fucking find I'll, oh libertism libertism okay my point is I never I, my, I never really understood stoicism I never got it just doesn't make sense to me yeah the idea that you don't feel and you shut down and you you pull it in and you don't show and you let it and and one of the big ones is discipline is freedom that makes so little sense to me and my daughter Isla you have no fucking idea we listen to a podcast with Jocko Willink where he said, um, he said the best part about, you know, you, know, you got to accomplish things. I'm not mocking him. I'm, I'm just telling a story. Yes. I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think I'm coming after. I'm not. But I showed it to Alex. He has, she has a hard time waking up. I said, take a look at this video. And the video is Jocko saying, uh, as soon as your alarm goes off, you get out of bed. You don't even question it. You get out of bed. You don't let that comfy pillow pull you back in. And Isla hits pause and goes, going back to the comfy pillow is the best part of waking up <laughs> and i said what do you mean she goes that sleep you get for 10 minutes is almost better than your whole night's sleep you go to bed immediately and you don't roll move around at all and i go that's not his point i like you're missing the point so i hit play again and he's like and then 
you hit the gym. And she looks at me and she goes, who is this guy? I go, he's a Navy SEAL. She goes, he works at the zoo? I go, no, Isla. He's, he's, he's a fucking Marine. They're like the biggest fucking badasses in the world. And she was like, what's his name? I said, Jocko. She goes, all right, keep going. So I hit play and he's like, go to the gym. You work out and now you've got two victories under your, under your butt. You've gotten out of bed and you've worked out yeah. and it's four in the morning. And she's like, fucking four in the morning. And then he goes, and then when you go to work and they got that plate of donuts, you know that you're building up victories. And she hits pause. She goes, if he's going to say he's not going to have a donut, I'm done listening. And I go, I lied. I don't know what he's going to say, but I'm, I'm, I can almost guarantee you he's not having a donut. Yeah. And then she said, do you want to be friends with someone who doesn't like donuts? And I went, huh? She goes, better yet, do you think he'd like you? <laughs> I went, I, I never thought about it. I like him, but I don't think he'd like me at all. I think I'd drive him fucking nuts. Yeah. And she goes, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm done. So we just stopped listening. <laughs> yeah. But but the, I never understood the phrase, discipline is freedom. And then once you get find a tad bit of discipline, you really embrace the freedom you get within it. I don't know where this story's going. It's the make things happen, let things happen. You have to do things in a disciplined fashion so that when it's time to play football, mm. you just play football. And because you've already done all these fundamentals, right, to be able to just let it go. It's the same with, like, when you walk into a room that's chaos, you have to spend so much time putting the room in order before you can sit down She's and be creative. She's talking about our bedroom. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that to apply it to something other than a ball game, if you live in a chaotic space, the chaos has to be handled. Instead, if you just make your bed and put your dishes in the dishwasher and do the bullshit you don't want to do in the moment, it frees up the rest of the time. The discipline oh, of that fundamentalism, the fundamental yeah. discipline, allows the freedom to do all these other things. Can I say something, Bert, that I think... Well, you tell me if I'm hitting on what I'm trying to what I think I'm picking up on from you is that Please. this is the problem with social media or self-help or, you know, live your best life pundits is they make you feel like shit unless you're doing every fucking thing right in your life. And so your entire life has to be dedicated to the pursuit of all of these uh, different disciplines. Um, and you're not a whole person unless you are. Well, I shared this on a recent interview, is there's a really important part of finding out and challenging yourself with what you think is true about how to prepare yourself for a game, okay? Uh, if I'm working with an NBA player or Major League Baseball or NHL, both those sports have typically many games in a week. Sometimes you have three in a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll always say to an athlete, I want you to pick one of those and schedule that one to be average. Okay, you're not going to go out there and try and crush it. Don't go in there with like, you have that capability, but let's just experiment with something. Schedule that one to be average. Pick which one. And it's hard to get them to like, wait, what do you mean? And I'm like, no, just don't go in there with the expectation that you've got to like, hit the last shot. You got to like hit your numbers and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, here's the stats. on it. I've been doing this huh. since 1999. Okay. And I track it all inside of, uh, now it's a Google sheet. It used to be an Excel sheet. 86% of those athletes will have their best game of their entire week. I that's, love it. By the way, that's, that's, uh, 
uh, the risk of sounding snobbish, but uh, that's the way stand-up works. Sometimes you're like, you're like, Little Rock, Arkansas. Mm. This, I mean, Boston's the show. That's the show I want to really pop at. But Little Rock's on that run also. Uh, not that I'm going to phone it in, but like, it'll be good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, God damn it. That was fucking magic. Mm. Why the fuck was that show so good? And then when I went into Boston, sold out to the fucking ceiling, I, I felt a little like in my own way. I felt like a little cramped. Yeah. Yeah. So scheduling average and, and I can't tell them why. Cause if I show them, if I reveal the, the magic trick, then yeah. it doesn't work. Right. So they're like, but why? And I'm like, listen. But this, you just did on this podcast, though. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but we'll see. Um, so they'll go, they'll why, and I'm like, can you, that's why trust is so important. Yeah. Like, they're like, do, do you trust me? Like, you you know kind of the roster of whoever, like, trust me on this, okay? Yeah. Just let's be average this week or on that game. And they'll come out and I'm like, so what do you think of the numbers, the, the outcome of the game? And they're like, uh, who cares about the numbers? That just felt good. Right. And I'm like, well, what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. And and we get into a conversation about expectations. Mm-hmm. Like I'm placing such a high expectation on myself. And I'm like, yeah, expectation is typically going to be the enemy of peak performance for someone. Right. So, and I say this because the conversation started off with like, everyone telling me you got to like crush things by 4.30 a.m. You got to be in the cold plunge. Mm-hmm. And then you got to do 30 minutes of meditation. You got to read the chapter of the book and all this and like, hey, definitely everybody go and read a chapter of the Alter Ego Effect book. But then after that book, like just pump the brakes a little bit on yourself. Right? <laughs> like you don't need to read Alexandria's library before the end of your entire life. You can, there are, you know, I think some people don't realize what works for every, what works for these high achieving Andrew Huberman, Cam Haynes, Joe Rogan, Peter Atia. Like I use these names because out of respect, yeah. Jocko, what works for them, it doesn't work for everyone. And, and, and just because they said it first and you're hearing a lot of people say it now, like a lot yes. of people are like, yo, don't sleep more than four hours. I wake up. I heard a guy the other day say, I wake up, I sleep. I woke up at three 30 in the morning to work out. And I was like three 30 in the morning. That's not even, it's not even close to morning. That's, That's the a, middle of the night. Yeah, You right. can't call that the morning. And then he's like, <laughs> and then by, by six, I've already had two workouts in. And you're like, you worked out. Tw- I think that's called one workout. If you started to, I was like, I was like, I don't know. I was like, just because they're parroting it doesn't mean that's the way. And I think that's what I dug about your book because I don't think I've heard anything like what you were saying. Yeah. And I mean this out of total respect, but my stupid fucking idea of give yourself a nickname was actualized. All the ideas I had that would take me 18 months to whittle down to one chapter, you thought out and you wrote in an entire fucking book. And all these ideas I could not visualize i couldn't articulate yeah you seem to articulate very well in this book and and but i waited 15 years to write the book because i discovered the concept of like the working with identity in around 2001 that's when i started honing it alter ego revealed itself to me in 2003 before the athens games the olympic games when i was working with a swimmer on the u.s olympic team it was just she was the one who toppled all the dominoes in my head of all the other conversations talking to people about alter egos and personas. Because before that, it was just like, oh, that's interesting. I did the same thing, Geronimo and Super Richard. And it's like, oh, that's really yeah. cool. And then I was like, wait Shaquille a second. O'Neal would legit show the Superman emblem on his chest. And, and by the way, he, you know, Shaq is his name, nickname, but like, but like Sha- 
Shaqzilla. Shaq, yeah. DJ Shaq. Well, Shaq means more than Shaquille. No, no. Now, at this point, Shaq means... Shaq, well, no. ...is like almost an alter ego. Like someone with... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Shaq is like... Shaq, Shaq attack. Is, yeah. he's, like, he's all over the place. Yeah. And with... Think of all the names Snoop has. has. Yeah. Snoop Doggy Dog. Snoop Lion. I mean, just... I mean, they call him Boss. Snoop Dogg. Oh, wow. You guys were quick with that. How the fuck did that come up so quick? <laughs> Fucking. What if it was just random that Rachel was over there Googling Snoop on her own? And she was like, ah, this adds Got up. Got that one. <laughs> um, Father Snoop. Yeah. But his real name is... Um, but wow, 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 you be yo. No, <laughs> isn't it Calvin. Dudley Whitmore? It's, it's <laughs> Dudley Whitmore. Dudley, it we came Wart full circle Lock. on it. Wartlock, yeah. saw the same, same. Yeah, it's Calvin Broadus. What is the what do you like most about working with these elite athletes? What's like your favorite thing that you do? Uh, my it's a great question. I don't know if there's can I really say what the favorite thing is. Uh, my favorite what thing what is actually getting signed jerseys. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. No, well, this is so. This was the other thing that helped, like, grow the grow my business. Was I had I signed an NDA with all of my private clients, sure. saying that I would never share that I've ever worked with them. The only time I would ever share a name is if they've shared my name uh -huh. in a in an interview or publicly. Right, so right. that's the only reason why I would share Kobe's name mm -hmm. is because Kobe mentioned me. That's actually how. So NFL Films. I don't know if you saw it. But NFL Films did a special on me in the book and work in the NFL with building alter egos. And then uh, they highlighted like the best alter egos in the NFL. Um, Wait, what are name. the best alter egos in the NFL? Well, the best one ever is Bo Jackson's because oh, yeah. no one knew about it. That's how NFL Films. So NFL Films. Tell everyone about Bo Jackson's alter ego real quick. So it's the opening story to the book. So um, uh, I was doing a speech in, uh, in your neck of the woods. It was down outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And... I'm pacing in the green room, ready to go on stage, talk to these athletes and these coaches. And this uh, physical specimen walks through the door and I'm like, oh, that's Bo Jackson. He won me a lot of games on Tecmo Bowl as a kid <laughs> because he was the cheat code. When you handed it to Bo on Tecmo Bowl, he wouldn't be tackled. And so he comes up and he's like, because uh, I'm the only one in there. So he comes up, he's like, hey, I'm Bo. And I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. Hi, I'm Todd. And uh, he's like, oh, are you? speaking today. And I said, yeah, I'm supposed to go up next unless you just bump me. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to go and meet a friend. So he's like, oh, what are you going to talk to the kids about? And I said, oh, I'm going to talk to them about, uh, you know, really developing your inner game, but specifically I'm going to talk to them about the importance of building a persona, a character or an alter ego to go out onto the field. And he, I'll never forget, he kind of cocked his head to the side and he said, Bo Jackson never played a down of football. And I said, excuse, tell me more. There's a story that's there. And he's like, yeah, when I was young growing up, I really battled with like anger issues. And that serves you well as a running back, knocking people over, but it made me a little bit uncoachable and I wasn't the best uh, teammate. And so one night, me and the family were watching this movie and this character comes on the screen and he's cold, calculating, methodical, and unemotional. And I thought, why don't I take that out onto the field? And it was Jason Voorhees or Jason from Friday the 13th. So here's a guy who's battling anger. This is what like, always like screws with people's heads. They're like, he's battling anger and he chooses a serial killer to take out there. And I'm like, but that's the human experience. That's why I can't sell an alter ego off of a shelf because his interpretation right. was meaningful to that moment in time for him. It's the only way it works. And he was too emotional on the field right. and he wanted to become unemotional. Right. So his mission, and I talk about this in the book, 
the whole unifying form of like one of your identities is to find a mission. What's mm-hmm. the mission of me as a dad? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the mission for me as a dad is to have my kids experience joy and love in my presence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, nice mission. and so then that is what's going to govern the behavior that re- gets wrapped around that. And then the way that I show up. And so his mission was to destroy everything on the field, mm-hmm. dot, 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 with no emotion. Before it was with emotion. Right. And so he talked about how, you know, when he's on the sidelines, no one talked to him like when he played pro football because he was just in psycho Jason mode, basically. Um, And he would, but he had a very specific process of engaging the alter ego. Jason lived on the field. He lived on the field. And when he would come out of the locker room or whatever, and he would make a very specific heel to toe motion, his foot would land on the ground. Um, is I think this is right foot. Then that's when Jason would come up inside of him, like a, a spark would come up, and that's mm-hmm. when he would transform into to Jason. Such emotional. A great story because it's cool. so something no one knows. It, Coach, uh, uh, the only footnote I had in your book is you said he was the only two sport athlete, a pro all star. But, but uh, Dion wasn't Dion. I don't think Dion won. I don't think he was an all star. He wasn't an all star. An all star, but he was definitely an all pro. Oh. But but he's coach. He's Who's ranked is actually a, he's, he's prime time. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said prime that, time. I said, "What about Dion?" This is the beginning of the book, and then I went, "Ooh, Dion's prime time." Yeah. But what are the best alter egos in football? You got Bo Jackson has the number one that no one knows about. No one knows about. You got prime time's got to be up there. The Wolverine, baby. Who? Um, uh, Sean uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm, what was his last name? Oh, uh, Sean. Uh, what are you looking at me like? I'm gonna guess it. The, put put yeah uh, google uh wolverine, 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 wolverine alter uh uh no not just on jackson no 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 it's not sean burnett it's salesman hang on stop hold on sales manager sean burnett hold on this is our googling has gotten so good from wolverine worldwide up in philadelphia pennsylvania shout out sean shout out sean check out his linkedin he's on he's a sales manager for wolverine worldwide sean. and you know what we'll take it yeah so we got sean burnett we've got <laughs> yeah, yeah prime time prime time we've got bo jackson uh the fridge uh, yeah the fridge. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a bears guy so Boz. i love that but uh, the bars is a big one, and then um, uh, Michael Vick talked about his Superman. Like that's why oh, he would yeah. go and he'd do this. Oh, um, so I almost made a Michael Vick joke. Yeah, I didn't you mean the dog watcher? Yeah, <laughs> uh, the uh, Brian Dawkins. Thank Brian you, Dawkins, Brian Dawkins. Yeah. Why did I say Sean? Brian Dawkins, and his was he had his own. <laughs> there needs to be a podcast of them. Go- I cannot enjoy these two Googling stuff and then going back and forth. When we talked about African circumcision, the fucking conversation happening over your shoulder was so fucking funny of them going like, Rachel going, no, no. And and by the way, we're talking about the two, we're talking about the two Rachels. No, now, Rachel and Christine. No, I know it is. I tease oh, yeah. I tease because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Christine and Rachel, yes. I want to give... I want to But give Brian every, Dawkins. Brian yeah. Dawkins is... Be, so Brian had his own locker dedicated to his alter ego. Oh, my God. What Wolverine. are you keeping it? Um, well, Wolverine treats. He would run out onto the field on all fours. Yeah. I remember watching that and going... Do you know how exhausted I'd be for the rest of the game? Yeah, yeah. No. Try try walking around on all fours tonight. It's right, really fucking I'll try. hard. I'll give it out a shot. He, he terrified so many of the offensive players in the league. They just so how do we give uh, Leanna better alter ego? 
Then Kanto, 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 Kanto. I'm joking. That's not really my alter ego. I thought you. Were, I don't oh, think I have one. It's out there now. Yeah, Kanto, Kanto. It's gonna have Kanto. its own website. Rachel right. needs one. Christine needs one. Rachel downstairs has got brown sugar already. Yeah. Well, the answer to it is just like I talk about in the book is we don't have one unifying alter ego for our entire life, right? Like the machine would end up trapping you if you needed to be the machine everywhere. Just like the boss got trapped inside of this one, yeah. you know, self sealing. I'm really thing. good at being Bert. Yeah. I like Bert a lot. Yeah. I, that's one of my goals this year is like love Birdie Boy a lot. Because mm. I like I like Birdie Boy. But you know what's really cool is I've I named I've named some specials after nicknames and I've and I I can incorporate that into my shows or whatever. And I love when people call me Birdie Boy. I love when people say, Hey big boy. I love when people call me the machine. I love a good I love it. It makes me feel like you you know mm. me. My my dad calls me Birdie Boy. And uh, and my mom, my mom, your mom, mom calls you Bop. My mom calls me Bop or Bopper. Mm. Um, but uh, maybe that's the the Big Bopper tour. Yeah. The Big Bopper tour. And maybe we'll call that next special Bop. No, that's a bad fucking agreed idea. Not a great, not a I great think we'll plan. Still but like, it. if you, anytime you're anytime you're trying to change an identity or some some area of your life that's not working for you, like it's because of a role that's struggling with. Like it's it's new mom or it's new dad. Hold on, we have nickname here. We call ourselves the badass bitches. That's yeah, our tribe name. There you go. Right? Oh, there's yeah. so many women. But that's a great example. Company. Like culturally now. So if you read when you, in chapter three, when I talk about tribal narratives, you're intentionally creating a powerful kind of environment or frame for the badass bitches to be in, live inside of it. And I'm sure there's, oh char my God. there's characters. And we have jackets that are monogrammed. Yeah, that's your, that's you your, that's yeah. your, what you call yeah. it, the clothes thing. The enclosed cognition. Yeah, your yes. uniforms. Oh my God. I'm so ahead of the game. I didn't even know it. I'm going to need one of those jackets. Uh, we need a totem. Good fucking luck. We need a totem. <laughs> Apparently, there is a lot of sexism running through this company. <laughs> because if you have, if you pee standing up, you don't get a jacket. Well, you're not you a bitch. You're not a badass bitch. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to make, uh, we're going to make uniforms for the men called uh, the Warlocks. <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking of a name. So what is the favorite part of your job? What's the favorite thing about it? No, it is, it is legitimately... When that person sends me a text message after week one or week two or whatever, we're working together and they're like, how did I, a lot of times they'll say, how did I not working with, whether it's you or someone like you sooner? Mm. Because they just had some massive breakthrough. And that breakthrough is they, they get to the end of some game or result and they look back and they're like, where, what, that guy was there all along, wasn't he? And now that I just look at things differently or I approach things in this mm. different way, more of my capabilities came out onto that court, that field, you know, that boardroom. Cause it's not, cause I, I typically actually would say I work more now with entrepreneurial CEO, like sort of founder business and then public figure world. Because when I sold my sports company, the agreement I had with Real Madrid is I wouldn't work with as many sports teams mm -hmm. that actually retires in 2024. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I had such a kind of a, a, a strong name at the higher levels in sport that, you know, athletes. I mean, I still work with like five athletes every single, you know, at any one time, I'm always working with about five athletes. Mm -hmm. But that's it. It's for, it's for anybody that I get to work with. That's right. like, yeah, the the great messages that you get on social media from people saying like, this one lady over in Australia never worked out a day in her life. Never worked out a day in her life. And she's like, eh, I'll suspend my disbelief about this idea for a second. And she built out an athlete alter ego. And six months later, she competed in her first uh, half marathon. Wow. She's like, I'm still trying to reconcile how this even happened. Wow. But what I do know is I've been approaching life with a lot more playfulness. And 
what I've started to question about myself is this idea of who I think that I am is bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's that's like self-sealing logic that I have. So now that she's kind of released that governor on herself, she's like, what, what else is inside of me that I can mm-hmm. get out? And so it's this kind of great attitude of evolving and curiosity of what else is there and not staying so tight. Self-sealing logic of yeah. who I am. Yeah. Self-sealing logic is so, I remember one time someone said to me, Barry Katz said to me, "Oh wow. there's two types of people, Papa, people who lose weight and people who talk about losing weight. What's impressive about you, you lost weight. And this is when I lost a lot of weight when I first, when I met you. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a real, I I looked at life like that a little bit. Like there's two types of people. Always, you can apply that that exact analogy down the line. There's people about talk talk about getting shit done. And there's people that get shit done. There's talk about, there are people that say, I'm going to do the work. And then there's people that talk about doing the work. Mm -hmm. There's people that go, I'm going to fucking... I'm going to quit drinking. And then there's people who quit drinking. Yeah. You know, and then there's people who go, I'm going to figure this out. Like, it's just, is there's, and and it seems that those two groups apply down the line. But here's the thing. This is the beauty of fucking life right now. If you've always been the person that, let's just say, talked about losing weight, that self-sealing logic doesn't have to be there anymore. No. You can change. And, and, And I'm saying, this is why your book connected with me is that I, I realized how much of I can't get on the, I can't sell a ticket. I can't get a fan. I can't get out of Travel Channel. I can't get my podcast up off the ground. I can't get, I like, I, I can't do anything myself. I'm waiting for my manager to call me. How come I'm not getting an audition? Why am I not getting booked? I want to do this. I yeah. want to do that. And then when the second the machine showed up, all of a sudden I started, it started falling into place and I started embracing small successes that the machine story or character or me being the machine when people yelled it out, it made me smile. And so I, that's why, and I look, I, my insights on life are bizarre, but it connected with me and I was like, I wonder if my fans, you know, look, they're my fans and people listening to this, the people that are still listening or like, yo, I'm I'm a rider diaper. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're gonna be like, yeah, I fucking, I love yelling the machine. I love the machine. I love Bird. I love I I, I follow him. I'm a rider diaper. What he does. If he wants to lose weight, if he wants to quit drinking, whatever the fuck he wants to do, I love the guy. They don't. I don't just need him to be the thing that he says he is. But I, I was like, wow. If I could give you some advice, they'll be like, yo, it kind of worked for me. And and I was gonna write a fucking chapter about it. And I just found a book that is. The, that is everything I wanted to say and and way more, with way more success stories. <laughs> like so much bigger success stories. An the, expert in that field. And an expert in that yeah. field. And I was like, this I got to share with my fans. I got to share it because it's important to me. And it and it and it's like, you know, if I could find a dude who wrote a book about treats, if I could <laughs> yeah. find a dude who wrote a book about uh, being punitive, if I could find a dude who wrote a book about, there's like all my fucking all my self-help shits just broken workarounds to get me to do the shit that I know I need to do. Sure. Um, I feel like we could just talk about forever. You're the very, very easiest to hang. What I'd love to do is do another podcast with you where we get drunk. Do you drink? I'll drink. Okay. Yeah. We get drunk as fuck. And, and smoke cigars. In, and smoke cigars. What, yeah. I was going to smoke a cigar today, but I didn't want to do it in front of Leanne because I did it the other day in a, a yeah, bar yeah. and she kept going like this. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but, but wait, I, when I when I say I'll I'll drink, I'm not machine drinking. Hey, you know the I'm good not thing going about toe my to toe alter ego is smart. I don't always smart have to move. be the machine. No, no, no. Um, no, I. It's yeah. But but a, but, a, but a beautiful old fashioned with a fantastic Nicaraguan Olivier cigar. Let's. I love it. I love it, Rachel. Do we, if you had to give Rachel an alter, alter, alter motherfucker, an alter ego, just take a look at her and give her an alter ego. Well, Rachel would have to discover it for herself. If Rachel, that's the way Rachel, the Rachel, is. Rachel, I, I, Rachel, sit down next to Leanne and say, what's one thing that's holding you back? <laughs> okay, her the one thing that's holding her back is you can't be vulnerable on the internet. Yeah. So how do we get rid of that? And what's her alter ego? Her oh, alter ego is is is. Is the cougar? It's I don't know. Oh, I love it. A cougar <laughs> no, means. No. A I mean, because you're not no. afraid to attack. You're not afraid to go up no, there. But a cougar and, means yeah. an older woman. So yeah, but that's not the context the I'm giving it. In I know, sense. but yeah. as a as a woman, yeah. she's probably like, I'm not that old. That's uh, Leanne. <laughs> uh, I think Rachel, your alter ego should be the the uh, the muskrat. The muskrat. I don't know. You're like a, I don't know. This is a horrible uh, HR violation, I'm sure. That would be your totem. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're looking at totems. Oh, yeah. But the great thing is, is it's it's to it's not the owner of the company saying this. This is just some guy that does interviews in the show that said it. So you're it's the different alter ego who said it. It's not Bert oh, Kreischer. Oh, this is a character. Can, <laughs> can we use that in court? <laughs> you can you can try. It's been successfully used, I believe. So uh, where can do you have a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Where can everyone find all your stuff? So I have a podcast that's uh, uh, launching right away called Ground Punch. So it's actually a chapter of the book. And my wife being very smart, and she's now the CEO of the company, uh, she was looking at the Kindle data on the most highlighted parts of my book. And Ground Punch is the one, one of the most highlighted parts of the book. It's actually near the end of the book. And it's about, there's a moment where you're feeling like you're backed into a corner or you're not doing the thing that you want to do. And it's that moment when the Incredible Hulk throws his fist into the ground and it shatters the enemy. Or Wonder Woman slams her two wrists together and sends the shockwave out as she's being defeated. And there's a moment in, a, in so many of clients' lives and stories where they it's this ground punch moment. So the whole, the whole podcast is about talking to successful humans about, no, I don't want to hear about like, you know, the day that you got your Netflix special. I want you to take me to the point in your career okay, I'll where tell it was you. the I'll last. Tell you right and now. so I'll that's what that the right ground now. punch is. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. It was on the phone with Tommy after, and this is such a ground punch, on the phone with Tommy after I got pulled off the Funnier Die tour, uh, oddball. And uh, I had a New Year's Eve dates. I, all my dates were, all my dates had been pulled for the entire year because I was supposed to do this Funnier Die tour through Live Nation. And then they just pulled me off and I was on the phone with Tom. I was, I was getting ready to get on the treadmill. I was at my desk. My, my arms were on my knees like this. The phone was on the table like this. I was on speakerphone. I was like, yeah, I got fucking, I'm not doing them. I just found out. And he was like, fuck, that's a lot of money to lose. I've told this story before, but, I, but keep it fucking in Halston. Um, he, and he goes, it's a lot of money to lose. And I was like, I was like, no, I mean, it's not that bad. It's, 2500 bucks a weekend and I had to pay for flights and hotels and he's like huh he's like you mean a show I went no 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 it's 2500 bucks wait and that's not a lot I go wait how much are you making and he said I don't think I can tell you and I said why why can't you tell me he goes I'm afraid it's gonna fuck up our friendship and I said it's not 
I go, you can tell me. And by the way, just like when someone goes, I have bad news, but I can't tell you. And you're like, I need to know. I have yeah. to know now. Yeah. And I know that it is going to fucking hurt. And I said, 10 grand a weekend, I'm comfortable. 10 grand a weekend, I'm, and I was like, I'm comfortable. And he said, are you sure? And I'm, I took a deep breath. So how do I feel about this guy? Uh, I've known him when we were both very, very broke. I was on Travel Channel. I'd just been fired from Travel Channel. Leanne wanted to get me a vasectomy. We were tearing down our house. We were redoing our entire house. Yeah. So it's all destroyed now. It's all destroyed, and I don't have any money coming in for three months or two months. Three months. My Netflix, my, my Showtime special, way underperformed. No one watched it because my shirt was off. And, uh, and now I have no work coming up, and I just got pulled off this tour, and I'm hearing that my, my best friend who I want to be successful. I want yeah. to, him to be successful. I'm hearing he's making more money. And he said, uh, a lot more money. 25 grand. And I went, wow, that's more a weekend than I'm gay. And then he said, a show. And I went, Whew. and then that knocked the wind out of me. And if you're talking about a ground punch moment, I said, that's where I stand. That's where I, that's my value. That's real. That's my value. We can't deny that. Mm -hmm. That's my value in the industry right now. And I'm actually, it's, it's my value is even less than that because my value actually to, to Funny or Die or Live Nation or whoever it was that, that the tour was less than that because they thought they could save themselves 2,500 bucks a weekend and maybe spend that on sodas yeah. so that everyone else had a better weekend. So I was less value than a soda in my head. Or if we're being real about it, Bert, how other people would also interpret it is not only are they saving the 2,500 bucks, they're saving the audience from my act. Dude, I didn't think of that. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you're past it. So no, 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 I can no, no, say no. that. No, but... listen, I'm not Kobe, okay? So I don't have like thick skin. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend you're talking to fucking Sean Payton. So, <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Sean. The, uh, but no, but I, and then, and then I, well, there goes this burgeoning friendship. So <laughs> sorry about that. No, no, no. But I, I said, that's my value. And I, and I, listen, I also am very blessed with beautiful friends in Tom and in Joe yeah who were like, this doesn't have to be your story. Like this, you can, you're a f get a fuck away from travel channel. I was like, well, long story short, I just got fired. And they're like, you just focus on your stand-up. We'll get you funding for your stand-up, for your podcast. Focus on your podcast. Focus on stand-up. Do another special. Rogan was like, be undeniable. He, I wrote that in my journal or my joke book. Be undeniable. I didn't know what the fuck it meant. Yeah. Be undeniable. Get a Netflix special. Be undeniable. And then I had all these great friends around me to kind of point me in the right direction. And, and, and but my ground punch moment was like, I will not listen to anybody. I'm, I've listened to other people up until this point. Yeah, I've I've hidden whatever things I wanted to hide. Travel Channel didn't love my stand-up. They didn't love me being on podcasts. I was like, well, that's gone. I will be on podcasts. I will talk reckless as fuck and be authentically everything about me. I'm going to tell every story that I think is fucking interesting or funny. I'm going to be who I want to be openly. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm not going to deny any part of myself. And I remember editing videos and people mocking me for putting out vlogs. And I go, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to put out more vlogs. As a matter of fact, I'm going to focus on my online presence. I'm going to focus on vlogs. And then in focus on vlogs, I went, what's Instagram? I meet the dude from Smash Mouth. I'm like, dude, I can fucking kill it on Instagram. I already know how to edit videos. No one's doing that shit. Mm -hmm. So I start editing videos. I start promoting shows through things. Next thing you know, I'm like, hey, man, we should do a dance contest. Everyone's like, that's the dumbest thing in the fucking world. And I went, I don't think so. So I authentically 
did a dance video to sell tickets for a tour. And it was like, I mean, I just got like the dumbest things I've ever done. The ones where everyone. Yeah. I looked at a picture of me, Leanne, Isla, and Georgia on Thanksgiving vacation in sweaters where we none of us were smiling. <laughs> and I posted. It was like the first big blip I had. None of us were smiling and I was shirtless. It's a, can you find that? Oh, good. This Christmas sweaters. Christmas sweaters. Bert, family Christmas. I posted it. And some comics wrote back, the fuck are you doing? Like, I didn't even get the joke. Yeah. The fuck are you doing? Like, texted me. That's the picture. Yeah, that's it. And, <laughs> and it went, it went like, uh, viral's a weird thing to say today. Yeah, yeah, But at yeah. the time I posted it, it got a big fucking pop. And I thought it was funny. Had I cowered to what I thought the community would, would want, my friends, my yeah. comics, or even comments, I would never have done it. But that moment, when I realized I got nothing to lose, I don't have a job, I don't have a travel channel, I don't have tour dates coming up, I'm not selling tickets, I do know that I want, I'm interested in the internet, I find, I started discovering shit, I started becoming a fan of stuff, I really embraced fandom and being a fan of shit and, and going like, I'm not going to be a hater. There's no money in being a hater. There's no, there's no juice for me in taking down other people's stuff. It may not be for me, but I'm not going to, I'm going to look at it and I'll take a look at it objectively and see what in that applies. Even if I started to not like something and being critical, I'd take apart what made me critical of it and then don't do that, but do the other shit you like. Do the other shit you like. You should get a fucking drone. Drones are cool. Look, it's a lot of overused footage, but drones are cool. Like, but And so I would just started phoning. I started dialing in on the shit I dug, the shit I liked, yeah. and only my vision, no one else's vision, just mine. And I mean that with love, but even Tom and Joe and my best friends were making fun of me at certain points of my of my uh, trying to be myself and my journey. And I just started doing my own shit. And, and But you got that fucking rock bottom ground punch moment is so valuable you can't appreciate it mm -hmm. when it's happening yeah you're so angry that it's happening to you yeah and that and i don't think a lot of people realize they can just fucking change it and i'm talking by the way there's one landscaper listening to this entire podcast <laughs> who's like dude i'm a fucking landscaper <laughs> like are you talking did you make this for me like i don't even want to own a landscape i want to be a dj and he's like oh my god i bet i can be a dj dj landscaper yeah. dj hedges <laughs> dj hedges um but helping you cut a rug but every saturday ground night. punch uh, uh, good one tag lines <laughs> oh i like that Whew. so uh ground punch ground punch is the podcast so toddherman.me is my home base on the on the interwebs and then it's got links out to like all the other stuff that i've got and then todd underscore herman is where i am on instagram so if you had like a favorite i always like it when people like take a screenshot of whether it's the the podcast player or the YouTube video or whatever you're watching this on and you you know take both of us in a poster or a story or something and just let me know like what your favorite takeaway is because I respond to everybody I, I, mean, I, I would I, I would I, I would it. highly recommend I love it I would highly recommend uh, your audiobook too I don't know where I don't know yes. if you get any cut of that but oh yeah I, yeah I don't get any cut of mine and mine's really good yeah and it's so good because I can't read out loud and so I you I don't know why I'm pitching you my book. You're already here. I got you. But uh, <laughs> but I the audio book's fucking awesome. 16 chapters. And if you put it at 1.75 speed, yeah. you can still understand it. And what's it called again? The Alter Ego Effect. The Alter Ego Effect. Yeah. And well, I'll uh, have to listen to it now. Yeah. It's fucking great. It's great. And and 
And, you know, the I don't know. What I find in your book is that there's a lot, there's a lot of, I love analogies. I love a good story. The Bo Jackson story drove me in immediately. Guys, you've already heard that, so you can skip the prologue. And now, uh, yeah. <laughs> by the way, get me out of prologues. Just get me into the fucking book. But, uh, but no, but it's a great story, and it drew me in. And there's a lot of aha moments where you're like, oh, that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, oh, or maybe I, and it's, and by the way, it also, and this is the beauty of your book, it makes self-growth playful. Yeah. You don't have to take it seriously. You can have fun with it. Give yourself an alter ego this weekend. This weekend, find a thing that you want, that in the book, and I, I got to get you out of here, but in the book, you, you, you say sometimes you'll highlight behaviors you don't like about yourself. I already know mine. I know mine. Yeah. I can't stop it from happening. But I was like, bro, if we're making another alter ego, it's Captain Zip Your Mouth. It's Captain Shut the Fuck Up, Bert. <laughs> Captain Stop Telling People How Much Money You Make. <laughs> Fucking Captain. Captain Diary Captain of the Overshare. Mouth. Hey, let's not, Captain Overshare. Captain Overshare. But we don't want to invest in that. We want to be Captain Quiet. Captain Captain. Sergeant Sly- Silent. Sergeant Silent. Silent. How about Sergeant? Shut your mouth, Helen. <laughs> Helen Keller. Helen. Keller. <laughs> I'm gonna get a picture of Helen Keller. Uh, Helen Keller's my. That's it. There Helen Keller's my new alter ego. Then you can't listen want, either. If anyone can draw me in any listening. pictures, I don't listen already. I so, know, but you should listen. Uh, uh-uh, I'm Helen Keller. Shut I don't listen. I want to shut ear. the fuck up. That's my new podcast. The you know I heard Helen Keller wasn't even blind. <laughs> Did you? Who told you that? Anne Frank. <laughs> so inside joke. Inside joke. Also. I used to think Anne Frank and Helen Keller were the same person. So, uh, <laughs> and I would also, I Similar. would also say, so I would also say, uh, I loved you on Rachel uh, Hollis's podcast. Thanks. I'll so have to listen to that episode. Listen to that episode. She's a much better interviewer than me. And by the way, no. listening to your book, I said I wasn't going to say that because that's one of the things where you start defeating yourself. And I was yes. like, yeah, but I. I'm going to say it because it's pretty, pretty fucking real. She does a lot of research and she does great interviews. And so check her out. She was on our podcast, but your interview with her is fucking awesome. It's where I've, I found yeah. you. Yeah, it is. And uh, she's it great. great. It was, she's, she's very great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Leanne and her are friends, though. I know. Yeah. Like yes. Real friends. We are friends. Yeah. yeah. She just texted me this morning. She texted me too saying, just let you know, text Leanne. I was like, it's cool. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad she checked with you. This is going to meander. I'm just going to fucking break Leanne's balls for another 30 minutes. So what do you say is you say thank you? Hey, no. No? No, You don't say say thank you? No, I I don't end my podcast with thank you. I end my podcast with thank you. No, I say, hey, I guess I do say thank you. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, if anyone's listening right now, oh, holy shit. (laughs) Thank you. You're a machine. I am. That, that, that's that's your type. You point at somebody and say, you're a machine. Hey, you know what? You're a machine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for doing my podcast. This I, is I'm fucking awesome. I'm so honored to and be And Leanne, here. thank you for being here and, oh, being, yeah. and being a part of this conversation. Thanks for including yeah. me. I really enjoyed it. Thank Real you. Real quick, African circumcision. Did we find anything? South African circumcision, a dangerous routine to manhood. Well, there you guys have it. Google African circumcisions and uh, there's a rabbit hole for you on the internet.
There you go. There you go. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.